0: Mac Power Users, Episode 620, The State of Apple, 2021. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, and I'm joined by my pal today, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen?
1: I'm good, David. How are you?
0: I uh, can't believe this is the last show of the year.
1: I know. Wild. Wild.
0: I I don't know if it's the COVID thing or what, but it seems to me like time has really accelerated on me the last little while.
1: I think, yeah, I think it's the COVID thing. I mean, we're rounding the corner into year two and (laughs) all that comes with it. Yeah. But it's the holidays. I hope, I hope everyone out there is uh, enjoying time with friends and family and some time off from work uh basically like this show and connected are the only things i've done the the last week or so of the year so
0: oh nice nice uh,
1: yeah so it's recording a couple shows and you know it's uh it's the end of the year so we'll get to what we're doing today uh but first i wanted to uh, see how your rss feed migration business went and if there's anything uh readers of max sparky need to know or if everything's cool
0: uh everything's generally pretty cool um the site migration i i, I moved the site to wordpress i got a whole bunch of stuff i'm doing gang i'll tell you more about it next week but the um the uh i moved the site it went fine the uh, there were some inconsistencies in the naming over the year i mean i've been writing max barkey for i think 12 or 13 years now so yeah. the um some of the redirects didn't work just right but um, I've got somebody helping me on the back end to do those and get those fixed up. So we're capturing, uh, we, we're we're logging 404s and fixing them as we find them. And I think largely it's done now. But there's a couple little things like if you find an article I wrote on the web and it goes 404, we're we're, we're fixing those as, soon, as fast as we find them. But there, uh, that's kind of done. And the RSS uh, redirect worked. Uh, I, I thought it would, but you always worry, right? But oh yeah. So if if you're on the old RSS feed. And you hit that, it's just going to go over to the new one. And you shouldn't have to change anything. But if you're not getting my articles and you're subscribed to the RSS feed for Max Sparky, the new one is a lot easier and, and frankly, more consistent. It's maxsparky.com slash feed. So just go there and sign up and you're good. And uh, all in all, you know, for a website transition, it was remarkably smooth, you know. And I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 wild to me that Max Sparky and five pixels, I guess, are pretty much the same age. Yeah, I feel looking back that I, I joined the writing thing so much later than everybody else. But really, like Max stories, your site, my site, like all kind of came up within the same 12 to 18 months. Yeah, of course, you were you were a you know, fancy podcaster before I was.
0: Yeah, I started in like 2007. And, um, and the funny thing is the way Max Barkey started, if you want to hear the story is I was contributing to podcasts, like the old Mac review Quickcast from, from Tim Verporten, may he rest. Uh, I was submitting like articles and I'm sorry, I'm like r- recorded, um, reviews to him and I was doing some stuff online for other people and they all kept saying, well, where do you want me to point this thing? And then. Like some of the companies I did some reviews on wanted to point at my reviews, and I didn't have a place, mm-hmm. and so I sat down and started looking at available URLs. and Max Sparky was always kind of the one I wanted, and it was available, so I grabbed it. and it, But it, it actually, the whole reason I started the website was because I was making stuff for podcasts, mm-hmm. and I wanted to have a, a home on the internet for Max Sparky.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's always good to have your own corner of the internet
0: for sure yeah i have with max sparky's journey i have just stumbled from one step to the next none of this stuff has been intentional it is crazy (laughs) you know uh
1: well like i said we're going to hear more about what you're up to next week uh
0: so keep eyes peeled for that and next week this show is going to publish on monday we've got some things going on where we can't get it out on sunday but it'll be up very early monday so sorry about the delay next week but it's coming up monday so january 3rd but today, we're going to talk about the state of Apple. One of the things we did when you joined the shows, we, we talked about things we wanted to cover. We did in the first year, uh, I think quarterly, we hit the state of each Apple platform and gave it in-depth coverage. And this year, we got so busy with everything else going on that we didn't do that. Um, and frankly, since we did all of the kind of in-depth stuff the first pass through... Uh, We thought we could kind of combine it all into one, and and if everybody likes this, I think we might make it a yearly tradition for the last show of each year just to cover the state of Apple on all of its various platforms and what it's up to. Uh, So we've got a good outline here. I'm really looking forward to getting through it today. For more power users, at the end of the show, we're going to be talking about... um, the you know the state of mac power users and what we're up to and uh, nothing dramatic but we have some exciting news hopefully for next year we want to work on some stuff we're going to cover that as well and uh, i think we should just get started
1: yeah and since it's right in the name of the show and it's the centerpiece of my workflows and yours let's start with the mac
0: amen amen man the state of the mac now compared to when we talked about it back in early 2020 is quite a bit different.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's really just been uh, such an exciting time to be a Mac user and you know you you zoom out a little bit further you know 2018, 17, 16, a lot of angst in the the world of of the Mac user, right? A very Yeah, it felt bleak. Yeah, belief. it felt forgotten and like it was playing not even second fiddle, but third, fourth, or fifth fiddle to these other platforms. And the hardware was a mess and it's not all perfect. Like we'll get into, but it really, uh, uh, really the real reason I wanted to put this first is that I just really think Apple's got their, their eye on the ball in a way they haven't in a long time. And I'm really appreciative of that as someone who has, you know, built their entire workflow around this platform to see it get the love and attention that i think it deserves from apple it just makes me very happy
0: yeah and and the thing is apple is not a pt boat it's a it's an aircraft carrier it doesn't turn quickly and um we all were upset with the bad keyboards and kind of the lack of attention to the platform for several years i think they probably got the message you know long before we started seeing signs of them yeah. fixing it cuz this stuff takes a while but but um, when we covered it the first time, we had a lot of open questions that have since been answered. And I guess let's just start by talking about the state of the Apple or the state of the Mac in terms of the Silicon, because that's the biggest change since the last time we talked about it. Apple has uh, finally, I guess I shouldn't say finally, but I'm going to say it anyway, they finally pulled the trigger and, and really took control of their own destiny with the Silicon that goes into their Macs. I mean, a lot of us saw this coming for a long time as the iPhone and iPad chips were getting competitive with the MacBook Pro Intel chips. Um, But there's a little part of you that always wondered. I mean, I thought, well, if they don't care that much about the platform, maybe it's easier just to keep making Intel Macs and just let it carry on its own momentum. Because uh, putting an Apple Silicon chip in a Mac was not a trivial amount of work. And it would have been easy for them to just stick with what they had. But they did it.
1: They they totally did. And the, the more time goes by between this being announced and kind of where we are now, I think it's a I think it's a much bigger deal than it feels like it is. Like from a strategy perspective, from a historical perspective, from a sort of you've burned the bridge, it can't go back perspective. Like the switch from PowerPC to Intel made so much sense. And obviously was a huge deal and and propelled the Mac for 15 years. But what they've done now, it's sort of like ringing a bell that can't unring in in, in a way and moving to their own, their own systems on a chip designed by their, their people on top of the arm platform. That's such a huge deal. No one else in the industry is really doing this. It really puts Apple into a class of its own. And that's a big deal and doing it with the platform that we all love. And we were so afraid just a few years ago that Apple had kind of forgotten about makes me so hopeful for its future.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's an affirmation of the platform. It's no, nothing less than that. Um, and there was a part of me that wondered, you know, are we going to get this? And, you know, when you meet people from Apple, I mean, I've had the the fortune to be able to go up there and hang out with some of the folks like when I was doing the iBooks author books, I would go up there and have lunch with some of them when I would release a new one. And there's so many people that work in Apple that love the Mac so much, you know. I would probably argue of all the people I met at Apple, most of them are Mac first people. So, you know, inside there was always that love for it. But, you know, it's a big company. and they, they're, they're looking at spreadsheets like everybody else. And the iPhone makes so much money. It's like you could see the Mac kind of falling off the back of the truck. And it did not. And they have done this amazing Apple Silicon. Not only have they they moved their Silicon to the Mac, they have substantially improved the quality of the Macintosh platform in the process. I just got an email the other day from a listener who went from like a seven-year-old MacBook Pro to the new Apple Silicon. And he was commenting how he can't, it never gets warm. He's like, it just never gets hot no matter what I do. And that's kind of my experience too. Yeah. Yeah. I talked in the Daniel Jalkut episode last month about when I play that dumb Star Wars game. It is Intel code running through Code Weaver, which is Intel Mac OS, running through Rosetta, which gets it to Apple Silicon. It's running through three translation layers, and it runs fine, and it doesn't get hot. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, there is so much headroom now on the Mac, I, uh, you know, it it is, it is that cursed gift that gives you so much that it makes you want more.
1: Yeah. It's not just that it's faster and more efficient. It's, it's like you said, all the quality of life stuff that I was like sort of hoping for, but I didn't want to count on, but yeah, it's, it's, these machines are just so fantastic. It's, uh, it's just been so exciting. Now there are some, some things that we haven't seen yet. And so, you know, we really are at the halfway point of this transition. I, yeah. uh, I, I believe, you know, pretty strongly that if we were sitting down in one year from today, you know, we'll be talking about the high end iMac, the Apple Silicon Mac pro or whatever their professional desktop looks like. The The story is close to being completed but for most people who are buying notebooks and, you know, buying MacBook Airs and that sort of thing, uh, the transition is is here. And and really, it's just those of us on the high end are now kind of waiting for what's next.
0: Yeah. And we know so much more now. Like, I feel like this is a three chip system. I mean, we didn't know when we started. I mean, was it going to be like, you know, where there going to be 10 Apple Silicon chips spread out the line, but they've got one chip for the macbook air the low-end imac the low-end you know mac mini and then we've got this second chip and we know what the second chip is now because it's in the macbook pro and i think it's very it would not be a shock right if we had a higher end mac mini with that second tier chip in it and a 27 inch imac or something like a 27 inch you know a bigger imac with that macbook pro chip in it so that will be the second tier and then the third tier is going to be the mac pro which we haven't seen yet but you know it's pretty easy to speculate it's probably going to be two or four times more powerful than the one in the macbook pro so i uh i feel like you know we know a lot more and it's easy to kind of see where this is heading um the questions are like where is the second tier mac mini you know i mean because with the first year, we got the Mac Mini at the same time. we got the laptops we didn't this year, so maybe there's a redesign or I don't know, maybe there, there's a chip shortage who the heck knows. Uh, but we're going to get that. you know the other question is where's the bigger iMac, whether they call iMac pro or not, but it's going to have the laptop chop chips. And the third biggest question is, what in the heck are they going to do with the Mac pro? And there's a lot of like interesting rumors circulating, but a year from now when we do this show'll we'll, we'll have answers i feel I feel we will you know, I think they're going to stick to it. They said two years, I think they're going to do it in two years,
1: yeah, I think so, even if some of that high end stuff is available for order and it ships in twenty three you know I think we'll know what things are,
0: so I think the Mac in hardware wise is in great shape. We didn't even mention they fixed the keyboards they you know they've gone. I mean, the displays on the new MacBook Pros are amazing. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff is in great shape. There is one glaring ex- uh, exception in terms of the Mac hardware. And to me, that is the external display situation, which is kind of getting ridiculous at this point. There is no external display. And, um, well, there is one, but it's, it. you could buy a nice used car for the same cost of it. And it doesn't have a built-in camera. It doesn't have built-in speakers. And it gives you a bunch of video features that most people will never use. So uh, there really is no external display for, you know, 95, 99% of their of their customers.
1: Then there's not a spectacular third-party option uh, either. There, there are some decent ones. I'm going to have a link in the show notes to uh, our friend Casey. He has been going through this. He has moved to the laptop as a desktop lifestyle like you have and he wrote this great post sort of looking at some of the the options for mac users out there and yeah this is a huge hole in the market now to play devil's advocate for a second if i'm you know the mac you know if i'm john turnus you know i'm wearing gray t-shirts and i'm ripped and i'm in charge of mac the mac (laughs) um i would shuffle those cards in the order he has okay we got to do laptops we got to do desktops and yeah, the displays are bad, but we gotta take care of these other Macs first. Uh, I get that ordering, but if we're a year from now and we still haven't seen something, it's it will be past the point of being ridiculous. So I, I am hopeful that in 22 we see Apple uh you know bring out a display that is cut down from the pro display in terms of of features and specs, but makes it a lot more affordable and i think uh, you know an external display that is you know two thousand dollars which is still a lot of money and very expensive for an external display if you look at the wider the wider pc market but if you can do that and it's got like a nice thunderbolt hub you know the thunderbolt display is like my all-time favorite uh mac accessory because you could just plug everything into it including ethernet it was just really great yeah. um so having the the display that can be your hub, and maybe it doesn't have promotion uh, that I think is actually kind of tricky over external Thunderbolt. But most make a display for the for the, the the Mac power user who's using a MacBook Pro at their desk all day. Right? You've made one for video professionals. Now make one for everybody else.
0: Yeah, and if the new one comes out, and it does incorporate a lot of these amazing features in these panels and these laptops. That will explain to me why it took so long, because this is not easy, what they're doing. But if it comes out and it's basically the same panel that you see in the current 24-inch iMac or the now shipping 27-inch iMac, which is you shouldn't buy because it's Intel. But um, th- if it's just kind of the same thing in, a, in an external case, then I'll be disappointed because I feel like they could have got that out a lot sooner. And uh, so anyway, that that is, uh, in terms of the state of hardware, they are... Hitting it on all cylinders except one, in my opinion, and yeah. the display thing is is increasingly becoming a problem. I am with you, uh, you know. They, I think this is the bottom of their priority list for the Mac. But you know, Apple needs to walk and chew gum. And if you're going to be selling these multi-thousand-dollar MacBook Pros, and you don't have a display to put on the market, and you know, and they're just as aware as we are what kind of garbage is out there from third parties. It's not like there is a bespoke company making great displays that everybody can just go buy and be happy with. Mm-hmm. There, there just isn't. And, um, and I mean, I feel like this is, uh, I mean, just is a point of pride. Wouldn't you want to have, if you were Apple, wouldn't you want to have people buying your displays? And, um, anyway, I, I think we've said enough about it, but, um, state of the Mac is great. Uh, get us some displays gang.
1: You know, and Apple knows all of this, right? They are, a giant customer of the Mac themselves, right? Yeah. All these hardware products, all these software products, they're all developed and worked on by people using the Mac. And so is, is Apple thrilled that it has a bunch of managers running around buying pro displays for people Uh, in the work from home era? Like that is just not, (laughs) it's not feasible. I don't think even for Apple to buy, a bunch of those from itself to hand out. So even Apple knows this and yeah, uh, I, I'm hopeful that it's just been a matter of, of priority. But like you said, time is, time is here.
0: This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by one password, the world's most loved password manager. Just go to onepasswordcom MPU to get 20% off your plan. OnePassword password is the easiest way to store and use strong passwords. With it, you can log into sites, fill in forms, and do all of that securely and with just one click. And all you have to remember is your 1Password. It actually gives you the ability to have convenience and security at the same time. And that's what makes it such an amazing product. The team at 1Password is solely dedicated to protecting your online privacy. They've added so many features to this application to help do that. One of them is Watchtower. We all do business with various online sites. How are we supposed to know when they encounter data breaches? I mean, we're not gonna be studying the news every day to find out if the website we went on to you know, buy a new backpack has suddenly had a data breach. Well, 1Password does that for you, and they do that as part of the Watchtower service. So when you will log into your One Password account, Watchtower will tell you if any of the services you work with have had data breaches and you need to reset your password there. It's just so convenient. And if you'd like to learn more about data breaches at the OnePassword blog over at onepassword.com slash blog, they've got a whole article on how data breaches work and how you can stay safe online despite all of these data breaches. I mean, the fact is that the bad guys never sleep. They are always trying to find new ways to get your confidential information, your financial information, or anything they can use to take your money or your privacy. The 1Password team doesn't sleep either. They are constantly updating the application. This is so much more than just a password manager. Some of the things I do with 1Password, for instance, is I keep a confidential note with medical records in it for myself. So anytime I want to go to the doctor, I can look that stuff up. But it's not just available on my phone. It's behind that secure 1Password vault wall, and nobody else can see it. 1Password is an entire security system to help protect your online privacy, and you should check it out. Now, if you're going to sign up and you've got a family, I strongly recommend the family plan. That's what I do. And with the family plan, everybody in my family gets access to one password. They get the latest version of the apps, and we can share passwords between each other. During the holidays, my kids have got some time off school. We're all home together. We're doing a bunch of stuff together. And when we change the Netflix password or whatever, we can share that password across with each other but my wife and I have a separate vault where we keep the banking information and things like that, that we don't need to share with the kids. You can do that too with a family plan and you get 20% off if you go to onepassword.com slash MPU. So, what are you waiting for? Give your family security this holiday season. Go to onepassword.com/mpu. Sign up today and get that twenty percent off. And finally, since it's the last show of the year, I just want to thank One Password. One Password the company that came in and stepped up and made that big contribution at the end to get the uh, St. Jude fundraiser we did here at Relay uh, over the hurdle, and we really appreciate it. These are great people, and they really care about your privacy. Go check them out right now. Onepassword.com slash MPU. All right. We talked about the Mac hardware. How about Mac software? How are they doing?
1: I think on the whole Mac OS is, is actually in a pretty good place. You know, we're coming off a few years of pretty choppy waters where Mac OS killed off, you know, uh, Catalina killed off 32 bit applications You've also seen this introduction and evolution of Apple's security model, where the OS is now on a separate uh, APFS like volume off to itself. And I think that's good. Yeah, that is that is good. And it means you can do things like quick delete a Mac like you do an iPhone, right? Where just after a few minutes, all your stuff's gone. That's fantastic. But there have been some growing pains with that. That's not completely over. There's still some kernel extension, you know driver kit type stuff that's still going on that affects a certain class of applications. But what I really worry about in terms of Mac software, even though I'm generally happy with where it is, is that Apple seems content to leave large parts of Mac OS and it's bundled applications relatively stagnant. And I get with a yearly release cycle, which I still 10 years into it think is too fast for Mac OS But I get that not every year, you know, not every year every project can be updated. And I know that things like Safari and notes and messages, those really popular applications need annual attention. But then you get into things like trying to change uh, certain security aspects within system preferences. And the UI is so badly organized and crammed into like, the system primitive's application just needs to be burned down and 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 rebuilt because they're doing so much in the in that confined space that it just doesn't work.
0: Yeah, it needs a new paradigm. Honestly, it it's not logical as it is, and like where the tabs go. I mean, when we had salsa going on this year, um, I had made the argument that services, some of the services stuff, should have a separate menu, and he's like, look. You know, there's only so much room in there. So, yeah. you know, we were lucky to get a tab, you know. And, uh, and but well, that is a constraint that is created by the creator. You know I mean? It's yeah. like they could fix that. Um, and I would love to see Apple use some of their design chops to just say, what if we had something completely different? I mean, the system preferences uh, really dates back to the original Mac. If you look back on the very first Mac I ever used, And you look at the system preferences today, they aren't that different. And maybe it's time to redo that. You know, maybe it's time to come up with a different paradigm. And I believe they could do it. So, uh, you know, that's my challenge to you, Apple. Please, please just start over with that. You know?
1: Yeah. And at the end of the day, like system preferences being crowded or difficult to use in places is not necessarily the end of the world, but I I, I use it as sort of, a sort of a uh, an example of what I mean by parts of the macOS interface and paradigm feel really stagnant. That if you go back and look at system preferences in the last twenty years or last forty years, like okay, these machines are so much more complicated and powerful now. We need we need new ways of managing them.
0: Yeah, and the compression that has occurred makes it too cryptic for non-power users. Like I, you know, because of the holidays, I spent some time with my sister and her Mac and she couldn't figure out how to change the default internet connection. Somehow hers got swapped out to Wi-Fi over ethernet. And she's like, everybody else is working from home. And she's like, I'm plugging it in and it's still using Wi-Fi. I don't get it. And so, you know, I took her through and showed her how to fix that. But um, Apple has the ability to decompress that where normal people can find their way in and make those kinds of changes without having to call their nerdy brother. And this is really a UI problem. And this is not an underlying problem. Like the, the mechanism to switch between ethernet and wifi wasn't broken. And the, the software wasn't unable to make the switch. She just couldn't find the switch, which is a UI issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think uh, in a similar way, the layering, is is also confusing in places uh, like the menu bar where uh, we got Control Center. Uh, what with Big Sur on the Mac, and yeah, it's kind of nice that all that stuff's combined. But like to see or change a Wi-Fi network is two or three clicks in where it used to be one. And this is part of like a broader problem I have with with Apple software in general. At least their newer the the newer bits of of Apple software and Apple user interface where too many things are just hidden behind buttons or menus that don't necessarily have to be there. And, you know, Alan Dye has taken this over at Apple. I don't, I don't know much about Alan Dye, but from what I know from the work that has come out of his organization is that they are very happy to hide complexity behind multiple layers. And I get, I mean, we've talked, we talk about this in terms of the iPad all the time, right? How do you balance A product that on one hand it could be someone's first and only computer versus somebody like Federica who wants to run a business on it and you have to find the the balancing act in that complexity and I feel like on the Mac they have in some areas moved too far into the direction of of hiding things putting things away making things difficult to find and I would like some of that to be some of that to be revisited
0: yeah and like they uh the the poster child of this is the proxy icon which they just got rid of really and then this past year if you click the right box and or do the right terminal command you can bring it back but the proxy icon is one of my favorite features of the mac you know it's the thing that i miss when i'm on the ipad the ability to right click the icon and do something or or drag a copy into an email or whatever and Mm -hmm. they just kind of got rid of it and um, there was a really good interview in the last month at Wallpaper Magazine with where they got access to the design team. It's the most in-depth um, discussion of the design team I've seen since Johnny Ive left. I mean, Johnny Ive was such a focal point that uh, there were features that focused on him, but now he's not there. And somebody at Wallpaper got access to go and do an interview. And I thought it was a huge missed opportunity because Alan Dye – is quoted extensively in the article, but he never gets a chance to really explain his design philosophy. I mean, I'm not on the team of like, ah, you know, he's terrible because he's doing all this. I, I would just like to understand where he's coming from with it, you know, and have him explain it. Or at least I think it'd be nice if there was like in in our community, an open discussion of, you know, what is appropriate on the Mac. And yeah. they, they, they definitely are kind of, I think they're leaning too hard into hiding power features and and uh and I you know I of course I make a show called Mac power user so of course I think that right but I I do think that things like the proxy icon can be accessible to a lot of people and the answer is not to hide it but to make it more usable and and uh create a system where more people can take advantage of that but that's where I would leave. So I think that's an issue with software on the Mac. And I think we've, you know, we've kind of covered it. But the other, big, the other big thing right now on the Mac is this whole thing around how are we going to deal with the next computing, you know, the platform application platform. And we've got, you know, this competing battle. We mentioned it on the show numerous times over the course of the year. You've got AppKit, the historic model that developers create Mac apps in. You've got Catalyst, which is the thing, kind of the temporary fix Apple made, where you can convert an iPad or even an iPhone app into a Mac app. And then they've got Swift UI, which for all intents and purposes appears to be the next big sexy thing to create your apps in. And it's not just for the Mac. It's the idea you can create apps in Swift UI and deploy them to iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, and get them on all platforms with less work, which you know I think is is a very good intention. But on the Mac right now, we are in this weird phase where it's not clear what developers are supposed to be using. Consumers get upset if you use one over the other, but there's trade-offs on every one of these, you know? I mean, so it's just, you know, it's a difficult time right now for app developers.
1: Yeah, we spoke to, to Daniel about that as well as other guests throughout the year. And it just seems like Apple doesn't have a clear roadmap, maybe even internally, because even internally different teams are doing different things, right? This year with Monterey, we saw messages and maps be sort of relaunched as Catalyst, Mac Catalyst versions of their iOS uh, apps, but then Shortcuts is in Swift UI and other parts are, you know, new things are still in AppKit. So it, it really seems like at this point, maybe Apple's content with not having a clear roadmap. And maybe they say, hey, all three of these are options. They all have various pros and cons. Choose amongst yourselves. But I think the community is looking to Apple to help Uh, straighten some of this out and and help simplify and set expectations about what will be here uh, not only today but for years in the future
0: well I, i think apple wants to keep their options open as always um i think however that the the message is clear that swift ui is the future and if there's a positive spin on all this, it's that they implemented Swift UI for the Mac. I mean, it, just like we we're talking about earlier, they could have left the Mac in the dust and just kept on Intel chips. They could have done the same thing with Swift UI and just say, you know, Mac will always use AppKit. All the cool new stuff we're going to do for Swift UI is only going to work on the iPad and iPhone, and the Mac's going to have to just linger on. But they didn't do that. Um, yeah. They uh, they made Swift UI for the Mac too, and uh, but we are in a very uh, difficult transition. I mean, one of the stories of the last year was you know how Shortcuts for the Mac really had a difficult launch. It's still kind of suffering. Um, I am working on that uh, uh, Shortcuts for the Mac field guide gang. I haven't given up on it, but uh, and the the betas are getting better, so I'll, I'll get that done. So I haven't forgot about that. Don't email me, but the um, but the fact is. Um, they built that on swift ui which clearly probably wasn't ready for prime time yet and mm-hmm. swift ui probably got a lot better this year because of that but yeah. the, the poor shortcuts team like they really they were at the sharp end of the stick on that one <laughs> and um, and maybe a year from now we'll be able to report that swift ui is getting a lot more user friendly and a lot of developers are feeling more comfortable using it i i think if we were to push this have this conversation 5 years from now swift ui will be the clear winner and people will just be using Swift UI, but it's just not there yet. And just like we had that weird hardware transition where we knew they were fixing it, but it took time. I think we're kind of there with this. You call me a fanboy if you want, but I think they've got a solution, but I think it's going to take a lot more time.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. And even looking at, at previous software transitions, everything is so much more complex now.
0: Yes. It's all connected to the internet and yes. other hardware and like everything is hard now, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I don't really, for, I don't really see this as like a problem when it comes to Mac software, but it is a very interesting time that we're, that we're living in. And it, it, it's probably tough if you're a developer trying to pick the right starting point. And and you know mixing and matching these things the best that you can and it probably means if you have a mac app you are rewriting or will be rewriting c- chunks of it for years to come as yeah. things like swift ui get better but if we can get to the point where apple seems where they want to go is like you can have an application that runs on all of apple's platforms and you're just tweaking it here and there i mean that is a a vision worth fighting for but one i would note that no one has gotten to work Right. Android apps on Chrome OS or even Windows like are weird. And Microsoft, of course, was unable to do it with uh, things like UWP. And, you know, they had this vision back when they had Windows Phone. Like, it's a very grand vision of the future of unifying your app platform. It's just going to take time to get there.
0: And I actually think Apple will get there. I, I know, you know.
1: I mean, out of anyone, I think they're the strongest contender for sure.
0: Yeah. And they control the hardware. The difference is Windows didn't control the hardware. Microsoft didn't control the hardware. So, but um, that that's that's also something changing. But that would be on Windows power users. But um, it's interesting to see how hardware has changed on the Windows side. All right. So uh, we're going to just use two segments to talk about the Mac because we're Mac power users. But as we wrap this segment up, what's needed? You know, where as we stand here, what do you think we need to do? What would you like to see progress on in the next year?
1: I mean, uh, obviously I want to see what pro hardware looks like, but on the, on the software side in particular, I really want to see Apple continue to move the shortcuts ball forward. We mentioned the app itself being kind of a train wreck, but the short, like shortcuts as a service where I can put them in the menu bar, I can interact with them with a bunch of third, you know, our favorite third party utilities, like, uh, better touch tool and keyboard maestro the fact that i can get it shortcuts via the command line all of that's fantastic like i'm so glad to see how far apple integrated shortcuts into mac os and i want that to continue uh, i think that it really does open the door to automation for people who have always been intimidated by it and shortcuts while you can scale it up to be very complicated doing simple automations to get started is really pretty easy. And I've, I've I've always been impressed with that, even when it was workflows, you know, before Apple bought them. Sure. That, hey, if I just want to, like, do this and that and tie these three things together, it was pretty straightforward. That's really cool. It's something that Automator, I think, tried, but ultimately didn't succeed at. But I want Apple to continue to focus on a really good short, shortcut integration with Mac, with the Mac, with Mac OS, And uh, I'm just, I'm really excited about that, that future.
0: I feel like the Automator team, they found the solution with Automator stackable, easily understandable automation steps. But I feel like Apple cut them off at the knees. I mean, if you look at Automator, it never got the, you know, the access that Shortcuts has to do all the things that Shortcuts can. And if uh, senior management at Apple had been behind Automation back in the day when Automator started, I think we would have, I think we would have seen a very different curve. I think if they had, if Automator had love enough to get that kind of support from the beginning, it probably would have also showed up on the iPhone very early, you know, as an existing technology. But the fact is it it lingered. And when the iPhone came up, you know, whoever's in charge for whatever reason decided that automation wasn't the thing that was worth bothering with. And yeah. then you know but but the the long game here is that automator inspired the shortcuts team if you if you talk to them when they made workflow, I mean they were inspired by automator in fact they I know they they've openly said that and and they built automator but with um more tools on the phone and then then that got the attention of senior management at Apple and now now for whatever reason, we've got to a point where Apple all the way to the top, believes in automation. And that is such a huge benefit. And you're right. We got hung up on the story that the shortcuts launch wasn't great. Uh, But the big story is that Apple believes in automation. And I think continued investment in automation, like really put the gas down on automator on on both iPhone, iPad, and Mac. I mean, that could make it so much easier for so many people. I I agree with you. That's something I'd really like to see uh, get uh, attention. Another thing I'd like to see get attention is like you talked about earlier, the, the native apps kind of linger. You didn't mention Apple mail, but that's like, that's bad. I mean, Apple mail could be so much better. It's good at handling mail. It's secure. It does the basics, but it doesn't do any more. And I feel like so many years have gone by. I just really wish that that team was given the money or the authority or whatever they're lacking yeah, to make mail a first-class app, and you know it doesn't have to have every weird feature, but it has to get like the Apple Notes treatment, where it becomes something that a lot of people are happy to use. And there aren't that many people that are happy to use Apple Mail now. Um, yeah, so I, I would I would like to see them like double down on some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I've already mentioned displays. They need, need hardware displays for sure. And the other thing I'd like to see them do, and I think that this is a pipe dream is I'd like them to get, now that they've got the Apple Silicon, I'd like to see them get more experimental with Mac hardware, you know, like what Apple did with the surface studio. It's like a big iMac that tilts down to a drafting table. I love that design. If it was a Mac, I would own one and it's not, you know, and, and I think that, you know, the touchpad and some other things they've done in the past have kind of bitten them. And I feel like they're very adverse to taking risks with design. Like what, what why not a touchscreen laptop? You know, mm-hmm. why not, you know, some of these other ideas. I mean, there is a lot of interesting things happening out there that Apple seems to, um, ignore, at least in their product line. Maybe they're testing this stuff, but, um, there's nothing wrong with coming out with a weird laptop that is touchscreen and you don't even have to have it replace one of your existing ones. And I know it's really easy to say that, you know, I, you know, I don't have any appreciation for what goes into all that, that design work, but I mean, Apple is such a huge company. I would just like to see them make that a priority Yeah, of getting a little more experimental and man, I'm just telling you guys, make an iMac that tilts like a Surface Studio, and and then have it jump into like iPad mode when you tilt it down, like it's just a big 27-inch iPad. And I would, you know, I'll be your customer number one. I'm I'm there. David's ready. That's what we're saying. I'm ready. I got I got my money in my pocket. Well, I don't really, (laughs) but I'll find it. I'll, I'll go bust open all my mattresses. This
1: episode of MPU is made possible by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace has you covered. I love that Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering. That means you can build a beautiful, modern website that looks great on any size device, can house all of your type of content, And you don't have to worry about patching or upgrading things in the middle of the night. They have great customer support if you need any help. And they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. All of that can be handled in one place. Plus, Squarespace has everything you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there. In the new year, you may be looking to showcase your work with a portfolio or start writing a blog or publishing a podcast, promoting a business. Squarespace lets you do all of that very easily. What I love about Squarespace is that you can really change the nature of a site over time. So if you don't start with a blog, but you want to add one, it's really simple. You're not looking at a rebuild. You just turn on the blog module and you're set. So head to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Mac Power users and all of Relay FM.
0: Okay, so Apple also has this little product that doesn't really account for much called the iPhone, but we should (laughs) at least mention it. (laughs) I guess we'll give it some time. Yeah, is it fifty percent of the income? It's always right around fifty percent. Like it's forty nine or fifty two. You know, it's like right in the ballpark. But you know, a product that that literally is like half of the income of a trillion dollar company. It's it is so massive. I don't even you know every time they release a new iPhone and they talk about how many million units they sold. I it's like the fact that they do that is almost like it like it's i it's hard to conceive of making millions of anything that detailed and getting them out on time
1: it's it's the product that yeah, they it, it gets out the door in in a very consistent fashion i mean even in 2020 you know being a little bit late with covid they they were able to get it out and they continued to to push the ball forward it, in a way um this is kind of the easiest section of this outline because like yeah these phones are fantastic but it's also kind of the hardest because I at least struggle to find like the low-hanging fruit with the iPhone. Like from the hardware perspective, it's unbelievable. The, the cameras are, are so impressive, especially out of the 13 Pro and Pro Max. I mean, the imagery and the, and the video you can capture with these devices, it really blows my mind. Even looking at photos from like an iPhone 10 or 10s, not that long ago. They've made yeah. such great strides. It, it's, it's really hard to believe.
0: I mean, this is the first year, because I have a fancy camera I use for all the video stuff I do at Max Barkey. And this is the first year I didn't pull it out at Christmas and take the family picture with it because the iPhone 13 Pro picture looks so good. It just wasn't worth the trouble. And I mean, the camera system, I just, I mean, this happens every year, but I just can't get over how far... That has come. I mean, just open your uh, photos library and look at a picture you took with your camera six years ago. Yeah, you know, with your phone six years ago, and compare it. I mean, I mean, like, where are we going to be in another six years?
1: It's it's wild.
0: I heard from the inside one time that they have like hundreds of people that work full time on the camera system and camera software stack, like. Which is, I mean, when you think about it, like there's just a handful of people working on most apps at, at Apple. They've got this massive team. And I don't know if this is true or not. You know, this isn't like super insider information. But I would totally believe that they have a couple hundred people working on it because that, that's what sells the iPhone every year is the, the uh, camera upgrades.
1: Yeah, it's it's the reason people buy a new phone. And most people don't do it every year like we do and like a lot of MPU listeners do. but. A lot of people, it's, you know, they're going every two, three, four years. The camera may very well be the thing that pushes them over. But I think maybe just as important, I think Apple would say it's just as important is that for the vast majority of iPhone users, it's their only camera. And so Apple feels an obligation and a responsibility to make it as good as possible because. Most people, it's the only camera that, that they're using to make those memories at the, at the holidays and the birthday parties and everything else. And so I think they take it deadly seriously because of that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the flip side of that is the longevity of these things. At some family gatherings or the holidays, I saw some family members that had very old iPhones and they still work fine. And, you know, these are people who aren't necessarily into the tech and they're perfectly happy to, uh, you know, they treat their iPhone like I treat my refrigerator, You use it until it breaks and you try and get it fixed. And, you know, when you absolutely have no other choice, you replace it. And um, that's OK, too. And Apple has done a very good job yeah. of keeping older iPhones working. I mean, in comparison on the Android side, it's generally been my experience because they don't really make a lot of software updates for the, you know, phones that are even just a couple years old it's very, you know, those, those Android phones get very old very quickly, whereas as an iPhone can run quite a long time.
1: It's really great. I mean, I've got a family member who is still on a on a 6S, and I actually handled that phone pretty recently. They had a, a question about a like an iMessage setting or something. Nothing yeah. related to performance whatsoever. Like, oh, hey, is there a way to change? The-? I forget what it was. And yeah. so I was just like bebopping around the user interface. I was like, this still feels great. Like, uh, yeah, it's not as quick to open the the launch, the camera as my phone is. Yeah. I'm sure the battery life on a success. I think it's still in the original battery. Probably not great, but yeah, it totally gets the job done. And I don't think this person in my family is looking at upgrading anytime soon. I think they're going to run it until eventually I tell them, Hey, that phone is not gonna get software updates anymore. And, and, and Apple should build their products like that. And I think to their credit, they've done it with the iPhone for a long time. We've also spoken about it though, in terms of the Mac and the iPad, that Apple hardware, just, it lasts a long time. And that's, that's important from, from all sorts of perspectives, but with the iPhone in particular, it means that you can, yeah, it's an, it's a big purchase and it's an expensive device, but you're going to get years and years out of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's going to take five or 10 years to prove my hypothesis. But I think putting the Apple system on a chip in a Mac is going to mean that Macs run even longer than they did it before. And uh, um, because that's what you see on the iPhone and the iPad. In fact, it's a problem on the iPad because people buy them. Was it on this show? I was talking about my friend who has the iPad 2.
1: Uh, maybe. I think so.
0: I, I, I have too many podcasts. Well, I'll tell the story really real quick, a friend of mine's wife has an iPad too. And I was telling him to buy her an upgrade and she was listening because I was on speakerphone and she like jumped in and she's like, no, I love this iPad. I don't want a new one. I don't want to set up a new one. This is great. This is the iPad too. This is the one that Steve jobs was showing to Walter Isaacson when he was writing the biography of Steve jobs. Right. You know, what is it like 10 years old now? I mean, and she loves it. She doesn't want a new one. <laughs> it's crazy. Right. Okay. So iPhone, um, what about the software side?
1: Yeah, this is where this is where I said this is a tough a tough chapter in the show because iOS is so mature at this point. Uh, it's it's the low hanging fruit. I think is is sort of a, a hard list to to come by. I think that the core thing for me, I would like to see um, Apple address in, in iOS. I still think the share sheet is too uneven across applications and I think it's still confusing to users that okay well I have this like list of apps that scroll horizontally but then I also have this list of actions that scrolls vertically and sometimes things are in both places and sometimes they're not and mail doesn't have a share sheet like I think a lot of that inter-app communication look a lot of that's up to third parties a lot of that's out of Apple's control but Apple I think should continue to model how that should work for third-party developers
0: yeah and I think this is another one that would would benefit from a decompression of the interface. Stop trying to put so much in so little space. You know, it's okay. And uh and it it doesn't. And you know, the same argument I made earlier about Apple Mail on the Mac applies equally on iPhone. And and they haven't, you know, this isn't something where they've totally ignored their native apps. I mean, Apple Notes has gone through a transformation. I think Reminders is in the midst of a transformation and it's becoming a very good app, but I would like to see them, you know, I mean, just get the, whatever the roadblock is to doing that to all of the native Apple apps, I would like that to get removed. And Mm -hmm. um, that's something I would do. The, The other thing that really concerns me about the iPhone in terms of software is the general state of the app store. And I feel like Apple has, not at least publicly taken this serious enough. I mean this past year we saw multiple events where someone would make a successful app. I mean it happened to our friend Dave Smith when when he made um Widget Smith there were like a bunch of copycat apps that used his basic icon and name and they were you know trying to divert or defraud people to buy their you know, crappy app instead of the thing he had spent months working on. And the only reason it seems like it got handled is because everybody raised such a stink about it publicly. But how many apps are in the app store where they've got these copycats out there? And what's going on with search in the app store? When I try to search for a specific name of an app, it doesn't even show up in the search results. But, you know, junk and garbage does instead. I, I feel like Apple took on an obligation when they said they're going to have this this app store where they review apps and make sure it's a safe environment, and I feel like they're not living up to it at least with you know all this copycat and garbage nonsense in the app store
1: yeah, there's more to talk about at the app store, but <laughs> that's coming <laughs> in a later section of the show um, yeah, what do you think you know thinking about the the future of the iPhone we just did this with the Mac you know what do you think? Like, what do you think is on the horizon for this thing?
0: Well, I mean, Apple has had the benefit of a silicon lead the whole time. Like, you know, if you look at the Snapdragon and some of the competing chips on other platforms, they just don't hold a candle to what the iPhone does. And um, I think Apple, you know, I don't think that they can count on that lead forever. So I think they need to be planning for you know what are the other features they're going to bring and how are they going to take more advantage of it. Uh, one of the encouraging signs I've seen is uh, speech-to-text dictation. I've been a fan of this since the Mac Power users first started publishing. And I used to talk about drag and dictate and other options. But now Apple's built-in dictation is getting so good. And that's because of the silicon lead. And if you haven't tried it yet lately, the next time you want to send an email to somebody, hit that microphone button and just start talking, and see how close it gets. The uh, so I want to see them do more with that. I want to see what they do with the cameras. I feel like we're running into physics with the, um, you know, with the existing width of phones. I don't think they're going to make you know how much thinner can the iPhone get without turning the camera into a piece of garbage. And you know, there's all these periscope technologies now, where you can put the sensor like lower in the phone, and then essentially use a periscope to get more physical distance between the lens and the sensor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to see them. I want to see them head in that direction because I want the camera system to get even better. At, you know, at the same time that the phones continue to get refined, and I like these these big bumps on the phones. I feel like in ten years we're going to look back at that and laugh. Um, I feel like they have to solve that problem or eventually a, a phone's going to be ridiculous. It's going to have <laughs> like a, you know, it's going to be the phone, phone's going to be paper thin and it's going to have a one inch lump on the end. I mean, that's not going to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, even this year in particular, the 13 Pro and Pro Max, I mean, this camera bump is wild. <laughs> it is yeah. enormous. I mean, to the extent that the, the Apple leather case itself has a bump on it to accommodate the camera bump Uh, it's it's truly wild
0: and you also see these technologies in labs where they've got lens arrays like 20 lenses and they're doing crazy things with that amount of data i mean is i mean i don't know do we get to the point where the entire back of the iphone is a lens i i don't know what is going on but i feel like you know i'd like to see them evolve because I feel like they're getting to the limit of what they're doing with the existing camera technology, and um, and I I know there are rumors now that the next iPhone is going to have a periscope in it, and um, you know I don't know if it's going to happen that soon, but I, I feel like there's got to be something better than these bumps, and and also I mean if you have a periscope lens system or something like that where you could put even more distance, you could actually really start cranking down. The aperture or opening the aperture wider, and there's a lot you could do if you had a little more space in there. So we'll see what happens with that. And I know you have concerns about the future of the Lightning port. It's just, just
1: a lot of questions. I mean, the the rumors are that they're going to to ditch it and go to a portless phone. I think that's, I think it's something Apple thinks is a good idea. I'm not sure in the real world that it actually is. You know, I. I uh, just as we're recording this, put up a video today where I was checking out wireless carplay. It's like, yeah, wired carplay still better in my experience. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. having that cable available to you when you can't wireless charge or you, you don't want to because you need, you know, maximum speed or something like that. There's just a lot that a port offers and I think it would be if they do it, it's a really bold move. And to do that bold of a move on, on their biggest, most important product. Talk about like <laughs> feedback they're going to get. I mean, do you remember the, all the heartache that we all went through with the 30 pin to lightning and, yeah, and the iPhone was a mere baby product compared to what it is now. And so I, yeah. I don't know what comes of that. Even going to USB-C, which I know I would like, and a lot of sort of nerdier types would like, even that brings real problems for a lot of people. So I don't know what happens. I'm fascinated to to follow it, but I feel like lightning is not going to be on the phone in 10 years, one way or the other.
0: Yeah. And so if you're in charge of Apple, what what, what do you do? What's your plan?
1: I think I, see, I'm trying to like merge me and like what I think Apple would on the whole would do. <laughs> don't, don't do that.
0: I'm giving you Tim's job. Okay. We're, well, we're if Tim it were code. me, I would put USB-C on it. Uh, Me too. Me too. I just say yeah. let's just rip the bandit off, put USB C and keep it on. Yeah, and um, you know, and, and be done.
1: Yeah, and then whatever comes after USB C, which by the way, Apple helped invent. They were on the <laughs> on the committee that crafted USB C itself, and yeah. they did it with that MacBook in mind, that one port MacBook in 2015, and it's It's in many ways very complementary to lightning it's it's small, it's actually a little bit bigger than lightning, but it is small. it's reversible, but you can charge you can put tons of power and data through it, and that's something the phone would benefit from, right I mean, how many people have we spoken to on this show and in the forums and on Twitter and everywhere else who are checking things out like prores video? is like, oh, but it's two hours to copy it to my laptop because lightning is really slow and airdrop is unreliable. It's like you know what solves both of those things? A USB C cable.
0: Yeah, <laughs> a cable. You know, well, it's like if I, if I, and I, if I had the time, only would I switch to USB C. I'd say, let's just. I mean, I think the magnetic charging, mag, um, wireless data transfer, all that is good stuff. Let's put money into that. Let's put money into making sure that the USB C port is hardened, and that's never a problem if water gets into it. You know, let's let's protect the phone. But I would just, the idea of getting rid of the port, I would just take off the whiteboard. I just don't see a good reason for it. I mean, uh, the copper connection will always be faster than the wireless. You know, if you say, well, the wireless is going to be so fast in five years, but you know what's going to be faster in five years? Whatever you can do over a copper Mm -hmm. port. It's, you know, and (laughs) so, and there's always going to be people that need that. And what is the harm? I just don't understand what the harm is in having a little tiny port on the bottom of the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know. I mean, it's it seems to me. I know this is like a rumor that they're going to get rid of it. Maybe they will, but I'm like you. I have a real hard time understanding what the benefit is. All it's going to do is just limit my options. Mm-hmm. And like you, I ha- I have CarPlay too, and I watched your video, and I'm like, wow, I do not want wireless CarPlay because <laughs> my wired CarPlay is great, and it's in the glow, It's in the little you know boot thing under your right arm. So I put the phone in there. I'm never tempted to look at my phone anyway, because I can't even see it when I'm driving. And it's perfect, you know?
1: Yeah, it's it's a wild thing to think about. Uh, Out of like all hardware discussions about like future Apple gear, this is perhaps the most interesting to me. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm all about an Apple Silicon, like pro desktop. I'm very excited about that. But in terms of like analysis and like there's so many interesting things to consider,
0: the iPhone port, top of the list. All right. So now that I'm, I'm demoting you, you just okay. lost your job. That's what do you bummer. think they're going to do?
1: I, I think they're going to pursue this magnetic clip on type thing. I think MagSafe on the phone is like stage one of this. And, and maybe they come up with a way where they can do data through there as well. Look at the iMac with the ethernet on the power brick, right? They have pins in there to pass the ethernet to the, to the machine where they can get rid of the port, but they still have a way to move data. That's not purely wireless. Uh, I don't know if that's what they would ship, but I I would bet money they're interested in that and are exploring it.
0: Yeah. I I I, I'm in similar vein. I feel like they're going to keep lightning until there's no port. I don't think USB-C is ever going to make it to the phone. And I hope desperately that I'm wrong. (laughs) You know, because <laughs> they took such a shellacking when they. I mean, the thirty pin port was terrible. I mean, I don't know if any. You know, if there's anybody listening that never used that thirty pin port, everything about it was worse than lightning. Like, and anyway, it was just terrible. And people still went crazy when they got rid of that. Can you imagine if they have to get rid of their lightning cables to go to USB C? Yeah, it, it it's gonna be it's gonna be rough.
1: And and if they do that. That resets the clock on anything else.
0: Yeah. So that's why I feel like they're going to just keep it lightning. If they really are planning to get rid of that port, they're going to keep lightning until they do. Yep. I think so. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the Tech Savvy Lawyer Podcast. Helping lawyers with their tech questions. You can check it out right now. Just go to Tech Savvy Lawyer Podcast anywhere that you find podcasts. The Mac Power Users is great for everyone in any profession using a Mac, but for those in the legal profession, why not find a podcast that is specifically aimed at you? Whether you are a lawyer or law support focused on everything Mac, the Tech Savvy Lawyer podcast is all about how Macs, and yes, even Windows, are used by lawyers. The host, Michael D.J. Eisenberg, is the Tech Savvy Lawyer over at the Tech Savvy Lawyer page, And he interviews judges, lawyers, software developers, SEO specialists, and more, all about how to use technology in the practice of law. And I'll tell you, having been in the law racket for a few years, a lot of lawyers and legal professionals are not awake on tech issues, and it really costs them. People in the legal profession that can get ahead of the game on tech are going to get ahead in general. I truly believe that. And Michael does a great job talking about how lawyers and others in the legal profession can use technology to improve the practice of law. I've actually been a guest on the show twice. The most recent episode, episode 36, is about knowing the importance of your online presence. I know a lot of lawyers are nervous about doing things online. It just seems a little skeevy. You've got to be able to do it professionally. Well, this episode is for you if you have those questions. The interview is with Gordon Van Wetchel, who is the founder at the Alchemy Consulting Group, and he's giving advice to people for small and medium-sized businesses and professional practices how to develop a marketing and business growth plan that's not creepy. You can handle your online presence, and you should be thinking about it now, and this episode is for you. The Tech Savvy Lawyer Podcast is an excellent service for legal professionals and legal-related folks. You can join Mike on this biweekly podcast at Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Libsyn, and wherever you get your podcast downloads. So why not spend some time these holidays catching up on the 36 episodes published so far? Once again, search for the Tech Savvy Lawyer wherever you get your podcasts. And our thanks to the Tech Savvy Lawyer Podcast podcast. For the support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. All
1: right, so moving uh, moving on from the iPhone, let's talk about the iPad. Which, you know, in past years, maybe these things would have been collapsed into one topic, but with iPad OS and this whole wide range of iPad hardware, they really stand uh, they really stand apart now. So, how do you think the iPad did this year?
0: Well, you know, I have a weird vantage point of the iPad this year because twenty twenty one was the year that my relationship with the iPad changed i the iPad and I were pretty serious dating and now we just became casual friends mm-hmm. this year um and it was like it was like a really good move. We are such better friends than we were like you know dating um <laughs> went, <laughs> I know this is getting weird right I, I don't Bail know, out. <laughs> I got to stop, but no, seriously, I, I was always trying to use the iPad as a laptop replacement and do everything with it. You know, I wrote the iPad at work book, you know, I was, I feel like I was one of the first people to try and work exclusively on an iPad. Yeah. And and this was back when I had to load iTunes to get my documents transferred over. So it was rough, you know, but the, uh, every year I had these like false hopes about how Apple was going to like fix all these issues to make it like a Mac. And then I kind of had like a moment of clarity after WWDC this year that Apple, you know, I should stop trying to think about the iPad in terms of what it could be and just treat it in terms of what it is. Mm Mm-hmm. And like when they put the M1 Silicon in the iPad pro, which was before WWDC, I thought this is it, this is the year they're pulling all the stops out and the iPad is going to get all the, like, you know, multiple channel audio and all the things that were holding me up from using it for a bunch of stuff on the road. And then they addressed none of that in WWDC. You know, they made some improvements to the operating system, but they fundamentally kept it as what it is something halfway between an iPhone and a Mac. And then I was uh, at the same time I was mulling all that over. I was having dinner with my children who both have iPad errors and they're both in college. And they were both just talking about how much they love their iPads. Like they both bring iPads to class with them. They use Notability or GoodNotes. You know, they're in different camps on that one with the pencil to take notes in class. And they just love everything about the iPad. I was listening to them talk about it and they were only using kind of like the vanilla features that an iPad is good at. And that's what made them love the device so much. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I need to be more like them and stop trying to make the iPad do things that Apple doesn't even care about it doing. Hmm. So that was my big change this year with the iPad. So I uh I still love it. Now, I think I love it more. And but I'm not like if I need to make a podcast, I'm going to do it on a Mac. If I'm going to do right. heavy file management, I'm going to do it on a Mac. I'm not I'm no longer trying to like, you know, swim against the current on some of these things that it's just not good at. Yeah, it
1: makes a lot of sense. Uh my journey with it has been very similar. Mine was really because of the iPad mini where things like multitasking like they're fine but it's not fantastic (laughs) you know it's it's that smaller screen focuses the ipad into kind of what it started out being which is this device turns into the app that you're using and as such like i just i don't even look at my ipad as a device really that i want to do work on anymore i tried it for a long time and it's definitely not that um it's not that I can't do it necessarily. Some things are that way. Like, you know, <laughs> podcast production stuff doable on an iPad but not very pleasant. And it is something that the, the, the new MacBook pro is like solved for me. Like I have this fantastic laptop now and the iPad is now sort of free to be, um, less of a computer in my life. And
0: yeah, I'm fine with that. I get it. And, and the Mac, does now have a much longer battery life and it has it stays cooler and like all a lot of the advantages that were historically on the ipad versus the mac have now been removed because they've got the same chip in both of them and you've got those advantages across the board um i just to be clear i do a lot of work on my ipad still it's just like there's certain work i don't even try anymore and you know i i've talked about in the show how when my wife wants to go to Disneyland, I'll go and work for four hours in Galaxy's Edge. That's all done on an iPad Pro. I don't bring. I'm not going to bring my multi-thousand-dollar laptop to Disneyland. Um, and so I just bring the iPad Pro and I work on my node and email and planning and writing um, documents. There's there's tons of things I can do great on the iPad. But like I said, anytime I hit friction with it, if there's not an easy answer, like if, if, if solving the problem requires me to spin up an external server or, you know, add a specialized piece (laughs) of hardware, I'm just not, not going there, you know, or if it requires me to do seven taps where I can do it with one on the Mac, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, okay, we're, we're friends now. We're not dating anymore. We're friends. We're really good friends. I'm so confused by this analogy. I know. I, I don't know how I got here, guys. I'm sorry. Please <laughs> please forgive me. I'm punchy. It's the end of the year. Yeah. Let's just say that.
1: Well, let's talk about the the hardware line because the iPad line is really compelling. And I think they have the best yeah. lineup that we've seen maybe ever in the iPad.
0: Yeah, this is Apple at its best. They've got everything covered. Like you can get what's the low end is it $330 now? I forgot what the low end iPad is, but it's like a remarkable piece of technology for under $400. Yeah. That that you can do a ton of work or play on. I mean, and and then it goes all the way up to the big boy iPad Pro which you can spec up to like 2 grand and have something that does you know with this amazing screen and an M1 chip that can go so much further.
1: Yeah, it, the the span is really really impressive and that 329 iPad is is pretty great. I mean, I think it's a great value. If you're a school, it's even less expensive. Uh I think currently at the end of 2021, the only iPad that sort of sticks out to me a little bit is the iPad Air. You know, it got that redesign. It looks like the iPad Pro, but it hasn't been updated since then. So it's, you know, it'll. I bet it'll get updated in the spring.
0: Yeah. I think it's on track though. I, I don't feel like it's like terrible. It's no. just, you know, it's, it's the older one right now, yeah. but pretty soon it'll be the newer one. Yep.
1: You know, the iPad Pro with the M1 uh, is astounding hardware. We'll, we'll talk about the software in a second. But, but, boy, the winner for me this year and and I mean, it's seriously the my favorite iPad I've ever had is this new iPad mini. I yeah. really love it.
0: It was like the last penny to drop in this line, right? It's got the new design. And it's like, this is why the line is like top to bottom stellar. You mm-hmm. cannot buy a bad iPad at this point. You go to an Apple store, you've got different feature sets and different costs, but whichever one you pick is going to be a great value for the money. In my opinion, totally agree software. Yeah. Do we go there?
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they call it iPad OS. You know, it does yeah. have a distinct identity. Now the thing that, it's like been the struggle for the iPad really from the beginning is, and this is how like Steve jobs sort of pitched the original iPad is like, how do you make something better than a smartphone at these sorts of things and better than a laptop at these other sorts of things. And the iPad is still very much kind of caught in between those two guideposts. And if you look at that $329 plain iPad and a $2,000, ipad pro with an m1 yeah the hardware is way better and you get access like the cool keyboard and a better apple pencil but the software experience between them is the same and that's true for the mac as well but the difference is the mac has way more escape valves for power users where really the way i think about it in the mac is a macbook air can do everything my mac pro can And it may just be that the users are different, right? But if you're a power user on an iPad, you're limited by the decisions that have been made for that plain iPad or the iPad mini. And and it just, it it feels, you know, for so long I thought Apple was really going to drastically change it. And like, I should say uh, the multitasking, I feel like they finally got in a pretty good place. I still think it's maybe like just put Windows on it and be simpler in some ways, but it is... Uh, a lot better than it's ever been. The window management's a lot better than it's ever been. Some of it's not great, like the, like the file management and some other things, but Apple seems like either they're they're unwilling to really make it much more computer-like than it is, or they're doing so, but at such a glacial pace that that it's hard to see where they're going. And... I don't know which of those is true, but I've kind of begun to just accept that the iPad is never going to be this, like, touchscreen computer that maybe we hoped it could have been five years ago.
0: Yeah. You know, Eliza Doolittle had that song, Show Me, Don't Give Me a Word, Show Me. hmm The problem is they never gave us the words, right? Yeah. I I feel like all of us have projected a wish cast that they would, that the iPad was inevitably going to have the same feature set as the Mac or, or do the things the Mac does. In addition to all the cool stuff it does as an iPad. And I really like, I had this revelation this year. That is not Apple's intention at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they, they'll never say publicly because, you know, they just don't do that stuff, but I mean, their actions have been really clear. They want to make a really cool iPad experience. They don't want to make it into a Mac replacement. And I don't think they're ever going to do that. Um, What I would like them to do, however, is continue to make iPad specific progress. And to me, the best example of this is the way they implemented the mouse on the iPad. I mean, uh, I could argue with you that the mouse implementation on the iPad is better than it is on the Mac because yeah. the way the the pointer snaps to a button and the way the cursor is context sensitive to what it's sitting over. And like there's a lot of cool stuff. I know that's on the Mac too, don't write me, but you know, it's just it's better on the iPad the way they did it. And I feel like that was a very intentional, like you know, plotting way to get pointer support on the the iPad that that everybody likes. I mean, nobody was complaining about that when they released it because they did such a good job. And mm-hmm. I'd like to see them continue to do that. And maybe, you know, let's look at some of the use cases that a lot of people have and see if you can write software around that. I mean, the one podcasters always complain about, because if you're listening to the show, I'll give you a secret. We're recording it twice, you know, uh, we're recording it in Zoom and we're recording it locally on our Mac. So we've got an audio feed coming into our Macs that we want to record in two places. That's not possible on an iPad. Nope. iPad only takes the audio feed. One place does one thing with it. And like if Apple would look at some of those problems, you know, like that pro user group, give them iPads and find out where their rough spots are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see them like attack those as well yeah. and and narrow the gap a little bit. But um, I've I've come to acceptance, and I, you know maybe I'll be shocked, and they'll they'll spin around and do something amazing. But I feel like they're going to treat the iPad as an iPad forever, or at least the foreseeable future. And either you're okay with that, or you shouldn't have an iPad.
1: I think there's room for Apple to to lead by example here, especially when it comes to to some software titles like if Apple wants this to be more of a creative tool, and like you said, I'm not convinced they, they do. I think they say they do, but I'm not convinced of it. Then like, why aren't Apple's projects like logic or final cut there? Right. Apple has seeded the high ground of the app market to third parties on the iPad. And that's given us some amazing titles, right? I mean, there's really like some amazing iPad software out there for video and audio work. But Apple has these world-class programs on the Mac. I use both of them every week, Final Cut and Logic. And they haven't brought them to the iPad. and
0: it's their platform. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? And you may think, you know, in the past I would have said, well, maybe the power's not there. Okay, well, there's an M1 in the iPad Pro. Uh, oh, well, you need input devices. You have a keyboard and a trackpad and an Apple Pencil. You have more input devices than you have on the Mac. I don't know why they haven't done it and and maybe they will and i I honestly i hope they do because i think i think the the power user market for the ipad feels abandoned and i think especially in the creative industries like if apple wants to regain any of that they need to they need to show by example they need to they need to put their their programs there as true like world-class examples of what an iPad is capable of.
0: Yeah. And, you know, make the iPad more iPad-y, you know, I mean, take advantage of that pencil even more. And, you know, it's, it's a computer on a piece of glass, which is an amazing thing. Oh yeah. And, and uh so just think about that as you're making changes to it. And, and I really do kind of blame my own, you know, projections onto it. I wanted the iPad to become for a lot of my frustration with the device over the years. Cause I love it so much at the same time that I wanted to do things that the Mac does just as easily. But then you've got to stop to think about, well, all the good things that the iPad does that the Mac can't do easily, you know, like, Um, I read a lot of PDFs and mark them up on the iPad. I love that experience on the iPad. If I had to do it on the Mac, I'd be sad because they wouldn't be as good or as fast, you know? Mm -hmm. So you just got to kind of get over it. Um, and, uh, and I have to really stop trying to think about the iPad as what it is in in my own mind's eye and instead look at it for what it is.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of us are kind of there now for, for a bunch of different reasons.
0: Yeah. But in terms of the overall state of the iPad, it's very, it's excellent hardware, an excellent whole hardware stack, really. Mm-hmm. And all the accessories are there. They've got everything you need. Um, the software, even like using this new paradigm of making the iPad more iPad it doesn't do a good job of playing to projections or external displays. And um, some of the handwriting stuff they made so much progress on, it could still get better in places. I was trying to use. Uh, handwriting recognition the other day and found some areas. I mean, they could double down on what they're doing and make it better. And and I hope they do. And, and hardware-wise, this on the iPad, before I sign off on this, is this is one where thinner and lighter is is much better. Like uh, recently I did <laughs> the, that test. Than the Mac, you mean? Like- <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, thinner and lighter on the Mac, I'm not so excited about but on the iPad. Like I recently did a test with a Remarkable 2, which is not – an iPad competitor, it's a patent paper competitor really, but, but it was much thinner and lighter than an iPad and holding it um, made me realize that, oh yeah, the iPad could be better if it was thinner and lighter. So this is one yeah. where uh, they could, I'd like to see them lean into that. And, and I know again, that the laws of physics, yada, yada, mm-hmm. but th- this is a area that they could improve, you know?
1: So let's, let's talk about some of the, the small things Apple makes. Uh, yeah. I want to start with the with the Apple Watch. So this year we got the Series Seven, which is slightly redesigned. But I mean, we don't talk about rumors at all on MPU, but we all read the rumors about the flat sided uh, Apple Watch Series Seven that that you know, a lot of people reported was coming. That I thought looked pretty cool. Uh, didn't get it. We got a refinement of the shape that we've always had. Kind of a maybe a, a a smaller update year for the for the Apple Watch hardware. What do you think?
0: Well, I, I got the update this year. I'd taken a, a year off, and it it's a refinement, but it's a bigger screen. I feel like it's a bigger update than people give it credit for. Um, coming off the two year old version, the always on display is way brighter now, and I was actually relieved because the renders of the supposed flat sided Apple Watch. I didn't think were very attractive Hmm. i i really like the flat sides on the ipad and the iphone but i don't think i would have wanted a box on my wrist and that's kind of what it felt like i mean if anything i find some of the third-party round digital watches to be interesting but um but either way i i think overall i'm generally happy with the design of the uh the series 7 and and I think this you know the Apple watch is one that they haven't iterated a lot on the overall design because they've got such a small space to work with, and they've got debt with these uh, band compatibility yeah. and and I'd be one of those people that'd be flipping out if I lost band compatibility because I have never been a fashion person like you know it's kind of scary how unfashionable i am (laughs) but the Hmm. uh but for some reason these apple watches and the fact that you can buy them on amazon for like five or ten bucks i have way too many watch bands and like uh today i'm wearing a red one because you know it's holidays right so got my christmas watch band on you know it's like every morning i literally look at what color my shirt is or if i'm you know whatever i'll i find lots of reasons to change my watch bands so um I think I kind of went down a rabbit hole there. Yeah, it's good. Series seven. Yeah. Okay. Thumbs up.
1: Well, no, no. I I mean, I think the, the band compatibility is a huge thing. I think, you know, I think a lot of people would be really unhappy if that, if that got, uh, if that got messed up and I was excited two, three, four years in where they had continued to do this, but now we're on series seven. It's like, are you going to do it forever? Like, is there a point where they, they break compatibility? I don't know. Cause they've had two case size changes as well and they've managed to keep these compatible. I think clearly it's at the top of their list or towards the top of the list when they consider
0: a redesign. Well, I mean, they're selling, I mean, my, I buy the cheap ones, but I've got a few of the expensive ones too over the years. I mean, if you're at Apple, I mean, do you want to walk into that mess of telling people all their watch bands don't work anymore? Ooh, I don't. (laughs) Uh, let me give you Tim's job again for a minute. I'm not promising I'm going to let you keep it, but is the hardware design of the Apple Watch where it should be? Or do you do something drastically different? Like, do you make it round or, you know, I mean, do you do you think it needs to be something different than what it is currently, like a rounded rectangle?
1: I don't think it does. I actually, while I think the rounded watches look nice, like on in the Samsung corners of the world, Uh, I have used a couple of them over the years on and off, just trying things out. And there are some real trade-offs you make with that. The biggest one is you do a lot more scrolling to read content on the screen because it's going to get cut off as you move up and down. And that's a, that's a, there's a, a, there's a
0: reason computer screens are square. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, what I would like for them to do is, is just like on the iPad, I think thinner and lighter is a good thing when it comes to the Apple Watch. And I would like to see them be able to slim it down. In fact, over the years, it's actually gotten thicker as they've added things like additional health sensors and a cellular and all those things are great. And I'm glad they're all in there. I don't want them to take them away. But I do hope they can find a way to, to slim it down so it's it's a little bit uh, closer to the wrist, a little bit lighter and Uh, a little bit less noticeable when, you know, when you're wearing things like long sleeves or a jacket, you know, I feel like my Apple watch (laughs) hangs up on a jacket way easier than maybe a more traditional watch does. And I think a lot of that comes down to the thickness.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. I I like round watch faces, but I'm starting to kind of come to peace with the fact that a digital watch needs a digital, digital watch face and the square makes so much more sense. I can get so much more information on the screen. You
1: know, I still want an Apple watch with no screen though. I still really want them to explore an area of an actual like fitness focused product that doesn't have the watch OS stuff, you know, where it tracks all my fitness and it communicates to my iPhone. Uh, but without this big colorful screen, without notifications, without apps, because it's like a
0: bracelet. Yeah. yeah.
1: Cause really if I just still like what I really, really want is to be able to wear the watch that I want on my left wrist and on my right wrist wear a fitness band that talks to apple health,
0: and yeah so you you're looking at the band more as a health device than than a timepiece yeah,
1: I mean that's really how I think of the Apple watch and the times you know I mean I still to this day have these you know these seasons where I'll just go a couple of weeks without wearing it because I just don't want to and and the fitness stuff is what I find myself missing, not a lot of the watch OS sort of smartwatch stuff. Those things are valuable, but less valuable to me than the finish tracking.
0: Yeah, I use the watch. I I'm, I'm a huge fan and I wear it every day. And I do a lot of the data stuff on it. Like I like timers for me is probably the most frequently used complication and i run timers for everything because i have one of those brains that will get distracted and lose track of time very easily and like when i'm doing my time blocks i'm like okay i've got 45 minutes to work on this thing i'll just set a watch timer on my wrist and um and i know people will get like kitchen timers or a you know, Pomodoro, actual tomato timer and put it on their desk. Mm-hmm. But I just like having it on my wrist and it's so easy to set them. And if you set it as a complication, um, but, you know, I do stuff like that all the time. So I'm really using the watch deeply, but you do raise an, an interesting issue is like where the iPad from top to bottom has every device it needs at every price point. I feel like the Apple Watch ecosystem could grow. I mean, you oh, talked yeah. about um, like a a faceless kind of, Activity tracker wristband thing. That's one thing they could do. Another one that's frequently rumored is kind of like the rugged Apple Watch, you know, one that comes in a case that's kind of more like a G Shock style Apple Watch. Um, do you think we'll get that? And and what do you think about something like that?
1: I mean, as someone who's smashed an Apple Watch in a bike accident, I'm all for a ruggedized watch if it looks good. And I like G Shocks. So like, in fact, I'm wearing a G Shock today and I really like that sort of look but you're you're right, it's almost as if Apple has like made a statement by not expanding the Apple watch line,
0: yeah, well, it, at the beginning, I mean his, I mean legendary, they'd made the twenty thousand dollar gold apple watch, you know, oh yeah. I feel like
1: everyone's favorite and that,
0: yeah, everybody made fun of them, and then like there's the guy that bought four of them for each of his dog's paws, and like you you know there's the whole like it became a spectacle, and I think they quickly got away from that. Uh, and they they have experimented with materials, but you know people wear watches in different contexts. You know, and and I think if you were a contractor or something, you would want to have one. I mean, that there's a lot of stuff that an Apple Watch can give you that would be useful, but you don't want to be swinging a hammer or a, like I, I remember my wife gave me a nice watch once, and then I was putting roofing on my my parents' house, and I scratched the crystal on roofing material, and I felt like such a dummy for wearing the watch at all that day yeah it's like but so i think there's a market there for people who want apple watches but something that that is more rugged and i would love to see them like laterally go there
1: yeah yeah and i think they can uh it is very interesting how constrained they've kept it i mean even at this point in its life i mean we're set seven generations in at this point we had different iphone sizes and we had different ipad models and the Mac was in a bunch of different shapes that the watch really kind of stands alone in this way.
0: Yeah. So what would you do? So we, we got rugged, we got a fitness tracker wristband. We got standard, which is the series seven right now. And we've got kind of like the SE, which is kind of the low end, you know, keep track of my kids watch. Yeah.
1: Low end, but shockingly too expensive
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that that is an issue i think i mean the series 3's existence is a problem with the state of the apple watch because developers are now screwed for the next four years you know Mm -hmm. um but is there any other market you think they're missing
1: i mean i think the ones we've talked about hit the high points for me you know maybe there's room for um a more like a more dedicated child version i mean the se is fine but it's still like pretty big like i'm not gonna yeah. none of my kids are, are going to be getting one anytime soon but if i were even the small se is kind of big and so maybe something that's a little more you know maybe the ruggedized version kind of fixes that too i don't know but when I think about like slapping a watch on a kid it's like the se like i'm not sure that's that's the right choice
0: If I I was in Tim's chair, I think something I would want to experiment with, not necessarily release, but just to see how it worked would be, what would be, what if we took all the health sensors out and just made the thinnest possible Apple watch that could last a day? Hmm. And because there are some people that want it for time and notifications and they don't care about the health stuff. And I know that's not, it's not me and it's not you, but there are people there that would, you know, they would like something very elegant and small. And thinner. And I, I'd be curious to see what they could do. And they, you can't make it round because then you're going to mess over all of your developers because then they're going have to have a separate user interface. But but what if you just made something that was like not as fully featured, but yeah. the, the focus was like, you can call it Apple Watch Air or something like that, you know, where you're not getting everything, but you're getting something that really is thin on your wrist. I think there's a market for that.
1: Yeah, I think there is. Um, you know, again, it's just about giving people options for for what they want and what fits best in their life, right? There are people who would want yeah. just a fitness track or the people who don't want any of it. <laughs> and so yeah, but, I mean, why yeah. why not spread out if you can do so reasonably?
0: I feel like they're not going to do that, though, because they feel like they get such a mandate with the health thing that oh, yeah. they feel like they're never going to make one without the health system. I don't I think mean, so either. We, a, a personal friend of mine is one of those guys that has the story where the Apple watch saved his life. I mean, he got, he's just sitting around at his house and his watch is telling him your heart is not right. There's something going on. And he goes to the doctor and he he's got a zipper like within a day or two. I mean, it's like he had no idea that he was having heart problems. And, um, and I'm, you know, he's convinced that if he hadn't gone to the doctor, he would have dropped dead in the next week, you know, and, you know, and this is a guy I've known for, 40 years you know i I feel like there's so many people that are getting that experience i think and apple sees those stories i feel like they're never going to pull the health sensors out of the watches but anyway it'd be curious to see if they made a super thin and light one. -hmm.
1: you know and it it may be that they've had to work so hard at getting the apple watch to where you can really get all day battery life out of it and that it's waterproof and you have cell service if you want it that only now maybe do they feel comfortable in trying to expand the line in different directions i mean it's taken the apple watch hardware and software honestly longer to get good than i think any other apple product we've seen in a long time right the ipad was pretty dang good from day one the iphone year two or three pretty dang good the watch has taken longer, I think, because it's so constrained. It's on your wrist. It's tiny. You have to be able to wear it. It has to look nice. That maybe it's taken longer for them to get to stable ground. And maybe they're there now. And maybe we'll start to see some of this. I, I certainly hope so. Yeah.
0: And I would also argue that the one of the problems with the watch is when they released it, they didn't know what good was. Oh, I yeah. Mean, of all the things they've released, they weren't sure what we were going to do with it and what people were going to use it for. I think the health thing is kind of a surprise to them about what a big deal that's become.
1: Yeah, if you go rewatch the original Apple Watch keynote from 2016, it or 2015, I guess, 2014, 2014, if you go watch that, it is wild to see how many things Apple threw at the wall seemingly to see just what would stick
0: i keep thinking about that guy drawing the picture of the the sushi fish on his watch yeah. and i'm thinking that was so dumb
1: um yeah and and now <laughs> kevin lynch isn't who is that dude is now in charge of the car project weird yeah. times but yeah. uh you're right i mean they, they've honed in on the marketing and the uh marketing in terms of the way they talk about it and the features themselves uh really pretty well at this point point. and so i th- i would i would guess that it's taken them a lot longer to get to where it is than they maybe anticipated at the
0: beginning. Yeah. Software. I mean, in general, you have it, I don't have really many complaints with the Apple Watch software. I do have some things I want. We'll we'll get to that in a minute, but in terms of operating and doing what it's doing, like the way the complications work generally works. I'm impressed when they add features that I think are dumb and then they, then I use them and I like them like the portrait watch face this year where they automatically separate the person's head from the background. And then they draw the time between the head and the background. I thought that was kind of gimmicky. And then I put it on my watch and I'm like, I like it, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it doesn't work good with my dog. It works good with my kids though. So you got that problem to work on. Um, the, uh, the little tap on keyboard that they put on this year, I thought there's no way I'll ever use that. And then I tried it the other day and it works pretty good. I feel like the software team is doing a pretty good job with the stuff they decide to ship. My, my complaint is the stuff that they're not shipping.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think the bones of it are pretty good. And again, it took them a while to get there. Like, Remember we had glances at the beginning yeah. and like they've yeah. changed what the side button does a couple of times but I feel like they've kind of ironed that out and they they know what watch OS is and what it's good at. But I think that, I mean, it's, it's your note in, in your note in the document, you have exclamation points after it. Like you've got to open it up to faces. You've got to make watch faces more customizable, more uh, easily set up and configured and, and saved and shared. And I think at least they need to open it up to third parties.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there needs to be some third-party model. I, I I'm guessing the best we could get out of Apple would be, like, where people can submit them for approval.
1: Yeah, which you know? is, I mean, do it kind of the way you do CarPlay, right? Like you have a yeah. set number of things that are possible, and you have to have special permission. You know, if that's, I mean, I think they should just open it up and let the market decide because the market will pick winners and losers. It always does. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at the the app stores, right? Yeah. There are clear things that the market wants out of the app store and developers have to respond to that. And uh, so why wouldn't that work with watch faces? I,
0: just, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like wouldn't a company like Rolex want a Rolex face on the Apple watch and they could sell it and make money on it. I mean, I can guarantee you I will never buy a Rolex watch but they could get 10 bucks out of me to get their face, you know? And, um, and then also like, if we let people make faces, they could come up with ideas that make more sense. Like I really like the Explorer face on the Apple watch, but there's a few things about it that are kind of game stoppers for me. Like someone could make a related face to that, but give you a little more customizability. And I'm just not happy with any of the faces. I always go through this thing. Like right now I'm using, the digital utility or the which is it called the uh infograph the one that's a computer screen the infograph modular yeah and and i like it because i can get my timers and i can get a whole bunch of stuff on the screen but then i go back i keep going back to the utility from the generation one apple watch i keep going back to that one I, i just can't get settled and it's because they all have these compromises i don't care for and if you like Suddenly let other people make faces. I bet I could find some that I'd be happier with. And mm-hmm. and I feel like it would sell the Apple Watch. If people want these things to be cut, look at how everybody went nuts to put, you know, widget smith on and get these widgets on their home screens. Of course, we want to have more control over the thing on our wrist.
1: Yeah. And and you brought up another interesting point there is that Apple seems happy to abandon old Apple Watch faces. Like that original utility watch face is one of the best looking ones they've ever made. Yeah. But it's kind of janky on current watches. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's like and the, spend, the complications don't work right with it. Yeah.
1: Spend the couple of weeks or whatever it would take to tune up those old watch faces for new
0: watches. But that wouldn't be enough for me. I really want I just want third parties. I want I want it to open up. I mean, every year they give us two or three, and I feel like that is such a disappointment. Mm-hmm. You know, there should be hundreds of them. Every person I know should have a different Apple watch face, just like they have different bands. And, you know, I I don't know. Is this a thing where just like the iPad, we're wish casting and they have no intention of ever doing this? I mean, maybe. Um, (laughs) I mean, I feel like we're getting to the point where that may be what we realize because it's now it's been long enough that it's powerful enough. The software stack is good enough. I mean, I don't know what would hold them back from doing it now. I mean, they could monetize it as a store, you know, where you could buy watch faces.
1: Oh, they would 100% turn it into a store. Yeah, <laughs> Apple loves but, stores.
0: Yeah. So maybe we'll get it this year and, and that'll be what we talk about next year at this time. But, but I, I really feel like this is the one thing, if there's one thing you could do to make the watch more appreciable and personal to me, it would be the faces.
1: This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by our friends at Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience, used by the biggest creators on the web, including those of us here at Relay FM. Memberful lets us generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying our revenue stream. Memberful is the platform we chose for our membership years and years ago. And it does make it easy to generate that extra revenue stream, deliver bonus content to our members, but they've become a great partner for our business. The advertising market is up and down the last couple of years, and membership has really given our company and our hosts, including me and David, a real sense of financial security that we didn't feel in early 2020. Memberful makes it easy to get there. It's easy to sign up. It's easy to set up. And you're already producing this content, right? We certainly are. Memberful just gives us the tools to diversify income based on that content. It gives us custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free trials, private podcast feeds, and tons more. And a new feature that I'm really enjoying is the ability to send paid email newsletters directly through Memberful and even publishing them on the web so members can log in and view them in their browser. It's all really cool. And there's no additional fee for the newsletters if you're signed up for Memberful's pro or premium plans. If you're a content creator, Memberful can help you monetize your passion. Get started for free at memberful.com/mpu. There's no credit card required. That's memberful.com/mpu. Go there now to check it out. It could be the start of something really exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of the show and Relay FM.
0: Well, watches aren't the only little thing that Apple makes. They also make a thing that goes in your ear.
1: Yeah, quite a few of them, <laughs> actually.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Talk, talk about a product that that spawned a product line pretty quickly. You know, we've got AirPods uh, two, we got AirPods three, the AirPods Pro, which have the changeable ear tips. They've been out uh, a little while now, and then we have the Macs, which are the big over the ear headphones.
0: Yeah. Got them all, baby. And uh and they're all great, honestly. Maybe uh I think some people aren't happy with the cost of the AirPods, Max, but they're good AirPods. I mean, can you really call them AirPods? I mean, they're over the head cans, but
1: yeah, I mean, I think I think the AirPods like I think the branding is so good, they just yeah, they're gonna stick that on almost anything they can. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that there's options, you know. Someone like me, the AirPods 2 are a really good fit and they're still for sale, but if you want more or the 3 fit a little bit better you have options there too i feel like apple's kind of killing it with the headphone game
0: yeah i agree i agree and you know they're um i think they're smart to go for the fat middle you know like something that everybody can use there you know you can spend a lot of money on headphones but those people are never going to be interested in whatever apple sells and um for me i am just like really happy with the sound I get from all of the AirPods I own and uh, they're just great. I mean, I, I I don't know that I'd add anything else to the line, just keep making them good. Um, Software wise, I'm a little, I've been having problems lately with answering calls with my AirPods um, where like I'll pick up the phone and it doesn't connect. And that was real stable for the longest time, but I've noticed it's been unstable And I don't know if that's just maybe an iOS thing they're sorting out, but lately I've gotten to, if I'm going to call somebody, I'll first open the podcast or the music app and like just kind of get them connected with something Mm. before I start making the call.
1: Do you have that problem at all? I feel like it might've been pretty solid, but I do have the feature turned off where they can automatically switch between devices. I don't want that. (laughs) I want them to be connected to the device that I tell them to be. So I should uh, probably
0: try that because maybe that would, I would rather have to manually switch it between devices than have to fiddle with it when I take a call. Um, yeah. But, and, but yeah, I, I really like them and I use them for a lot of things. I do like the big, the max ones I overpaid for, but they're just so useful because my studio is in the middle of the house. When I put them on, it's like a great way to tell a family that I'm, I'm really working. I can't be bothered. Mm hmm. And they sound great, you know? I mean, you've got that, too. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm I, right down to, the like, the entry-level AirPods, which I use all the time. I mean, I usually keep just one in my ear when I'm making calls. And as I'm getting through all my calls, I can switch the ear out if, one, if the battery starts to die in one. And I love the way the little charging case fits in your pocket. I don't know, man. I, I don't have anything to complain about with the AirPods.
1: Yeah, my only really complaint is you know, the AirPods Pro have had some uh, quality issues. People, they start rattling after a while. Apple seems to be replacing them. They seem to have fixed the issue with more recent releases. So I think if you buy one now, you're not going to have a problem. But I think they've worked their way through that. And yeah, I think it's obviously an important business to Apple. I think they are, in a way, the the, the Apple Watch never really became the sort of cultural touchstone. They like the white headphones did. The AirPods yeah. have sort of recaptured some of that for Apple.
0: Yeah. But then the speakers get bigger and they go on a cabinet instead of in your ears. What do you think of the HomePod line?
1: Yeah, I mean, what HomePod line, right? It's just the mini. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which you know, exactly we, we recently did our experimentation with with the HomePod minis. I think we both like them. Neither of us are using them for computer speakers. I don't think they're great for that. But, you know, I've got a stereo pair of HomePod minis in my studio and I love them. They're bright orange. and That helps. I just I can't help but think there's another uh, shoe to drop here. Um, and I do think because Siri is the interface to the HomePods, I think, you know, Apple needs to just continue to work to make Siri better and more reliable. I think most importantly, just more predictable. If it can do something right one time, it should always do that thing right. And that's yeah. not always the case.
0: Yeah, agreed. But also just we need a bigger HomePod. I mean, the the line started with the big one that has the great sounding bass. And I have several of them. And they have all, knock on wood, worked perfectly since the day I bought them. But I have all these friends like you who are reporting that their HomePods are just dying. Yeah. And my sister, um, one of my sisters got sick several years ago and I bought her a HomePod when she, she was stuck at home and she loves music. And I said, just put this next to your thing, yell out into the air anytime you want music. And, and, you know, for that Siri works great. And she has loved that thing so much and use the heck out of it. She just called me the other day and said, oh, it broke. It just stopped working. I don't mm-hmm. know what's wrong. And, um, and I told her to buy a pa- a pair of the small ones but that's not the same thing in my mind. I I really feel like Apple needs a big one and and I know that and we've talked about this this over the past year. They I'm sure the I think they got the pricing wrong on the first one and um there is a solution where they can make a speaker that costs a little less money and still sounds much better than that tiny HomePod mini and I really hope next year that there's more to the line than just the mini. Yeah, me too. And then there are the glasses. <laughs> um, this has been rumored forever. Apple for so many WWDCs has talked about augmented reality and they've got like this weird AR mode on the phone where you point the camera at something and it lays text over it. and none of this ever made sense in a phone, but it makes perfect sense in a pair of glasses. And the rumors are, there's starting to be smoke on the horizon that maybe 2022 will be the year that Apple releases some kind of, AR VR goggles or headset or something that like they're, they're going to start getting into this publicly soon. What do you think?
1: I think this is the Apple product. That's going to make me feel old. Cause I (laughs) I just, I can't get excited about it. Those things just, they don't interest me. And I, I really don't see Apple moving into that area, making it interesting for me. I'm curious Uh, especially on, you know, they've talked a lot about AR, which is not, I mean, there's some gaming that's in AR, but AR also has a lot of sort of real life, non-gaming possibilities. And all that's really interesting. And Microsoft has explored some of it with it, with its mixed reality headsets, but I just don't know. Uh, I find it hard to get super worked up about it at this point.
0: Yeah. It seems like all the good applications of augmented reality require you to be out of your house, like. You know, I'm in the grocery store. Show me where yeah. the Rice Krispies are, you know, right. stuff like that. And
1: Or, you know, I'm in a warehouse picking an order or I'm looking at different medications for a patient, right? Lots of really interesting things. But Like I'm at home all the time and a lot of people are.
0: It's It's got to be portable to be effective AR. And uh, if they're going to do something like, you know, one of these, you know, virtual reality headsets that you strap onto your head. Like I have one, I have the original, um, what's the one that, um, that Facebook bought, uh, Oculus. Yeah. I have the Oculus one. So it's independent. doesn't require a separate computer and it's kind of fun to goof off in there. I actually find that I can even do workouts in it because I start sweating after I'm doing some of those games for a long time. But then somebody took it, my daughter took a picture of me wearing it and I saw that picture and I'm like, what a dork. I mean, I could not believe how ridiculous I looked with that on my head. Um, And I don't know what Apple's going to do. I mean, are they going to just like lean into virtual reality and like make something like Oculus, but better? Or are they going to really try and do AR even though I'm sure the technology is too big to wear around in the supermarket? So there's just a big question mark over this, but I guess if you're gonna get into it, you got to start somewhere, just like the Apple Watch. Yeah, I think so. But I, I'm not particularly excited about it. You know, there's a good chance that they make one. I'll probably consider it. I mean, and we talk about this stuff all the time, but but I like you, I, I just haven't been kind of sold on the utility of it yet. And um, I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. But I, I do think that may be something we're talking about next year at this point. It seems like it.
1: Yeah, it they're building towards it for sure. And if you talk about just the software side, we've had AR kit now for many years. Right. So they're, they're laying the groundwork and one of the the rumors kind of says it'll be like a developer preview hardware, you know, something like that. But. I got a feeling we're going to learn a lot more about Apple's ambition
0: here in the next 12 months. Maybe that's why they're not making a Mac display. They want you to strap something to your face and like, there's your display. (laughs) (laughs) I actually did an experiment. I wrote a blog post on it. I wrote some blog posts in space where there's like an app for the Oculus where you're like orbiting the earth in a space station, but it puts up your actual Mac display on screen So you can be sitting there typing on your keyboard and have like a virtual monitor. It was kind of a fun little experiment, but the problem is the resolution wasn't high enough. So I think you'd get a headache if you did it longer than 30 minutes. Yeah. But I I don't know. There's something to this. Like with that Oculus, I've always wanted to go to Machu Picchu. You know, it's like on my bucket list and hopefully I'll be healthy enough and have the money at some point after I get the kids through college and you, know, you have all these things you're, you've got to put off, but um, maybe someday if, if the stars align, I'll be able to go there. But I was able to go there virtually and it was actually quite satisfying to feel like you were there. So, and, and this is very early tech. I mean, they've already replaced the Oculus I have with one with better resolution. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know. I I feel like there's, this is, you know, in the future this this isn't going to hold up well this recording because I think it's going to get so good that people are going to be like I can't believe you made fun of that at all. That's the way <laughs> we do things now. And um Yeah. But, you know, right now it's pretty rough still. And um it's just a little unusual for Apple to be getting in this early, but you know, maybe that's what they need to do now. So, we'll see. Let's move
1: over to services. You know, this the whole realm of Apple products that aren't hardware, aren't software, but it's sort of the glue and the content on top of, you know, all of these, yeah. all of these and individual the products we use. Yeah.
0: yeah. And the revenue source. And the revenue source. Yeah. Do You remember when everybody said Apple is bad at the cloud? Mm-hmm. Is that dead now? I think, you know, I think for the most part it is. Uh, I think that they have really built
1: out a suite of products even under the iCloud umbrella, that all work pretty well. I th- There are complaints I have as a power user about I would like more control here or there, you know, better insight into sp- what's happening with my files in iCloud, that sort of thing. But I feel like overall what they've chosen to do in the cloud, you know, a lot of the syncing stuff, like, you know, iMessage syncing and Safari data syncing, all this stuff that sort of powers their applications. I feel like I just never think about it. And that's really the goal, right? If I'm not thinking about it, it means that it's working well.
0: Yeah, agreed. And uh, I feel like that they are making progress. They're making a lot of money on it. So I guess that's one reason why. But it's also the backbone of their hardware. You know, Mm -hmm. if you didn't have an effective back, you know, ground sink of your contacts or whatever, that would be bad, you know, and they seem to have largely scratched that itch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a long time, that stuff was hit or miss. And I think they earned that reputation for a reason. But I think on the whole, their stuff has gotten just a lot better kind of quietly. Yeah. The other shift that we've seen, you, you just alluded to, is that it's like a business, right so you have things like apple 1 which bundles all these things together or you can go out and buy a la carte i want fitness plus and you know something else but not tv plus i mean you can you can mix and match these things and in thinking about what they offer i think the two big winners this year in particular are tv plus and fitness plus i feel like both are way better than we ever expected that they could be. And uh, these two are directly linked. Of course, Apple has just poured money onto both of these, right? They have this fitness studio and you've talked about this a lot, all the trainers and your kids follow them on Instagram. Like there's this whole, this whole world of the fitness plus studio. And then they're just, of course, backing truck fulls of money up to people like Tom Hanks and, you know, a bunch of famous directors and producers to make for the most part, pretty good stuff on apple tv plus
0: yeah agreed and um and that's good i i'm glad they're leveraging that and i hope that continues the thing that concerns me about the business part of the cloud services is where it's going to you've got to make a choice between satisfying a an, a hardware customer and making money out of a cloud customer and the part of this that I keep talking about, and I will keep talking about, is photo backup. You know, um, the way they give you a small amount of storage, not nearly enough to store backup any any reasonable-sized photo library, and they want you to pay for that. Well, that does help the bottom line of revenue for services and gets more people to sign up. But then you've got so many millions of people that shell out, you know, around a 1000 bucks for a new phone but their photos aren't backed up on it. And it's like, I, I kind of feel like when you get, when you pay an Apple price for a phone, uh, having your photos automatically backed up would be a really nice way to make them feel like they were getting yeah. their value.
1: Yep. You know, they, they do have the thing now where they give you temporary space so you can transfer through iCloud. Okay. So you know what that proves to me? They can do they it. Have,
0: <laughs> they have the capacity to do it. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a business decision, right? And it's easy, I think, for a lot of people, and including me, honestly, to kind of lay that decision making at the feet of Tim Cook. But I think they could they could make services an even better offering if they gave people a better taste of it. You know, give people enough space to like learn. I mean, this is the cynical take, but this is kind of what you have to do sometimes with Apple. Is like, yeah, give people enough space to like really experience Apple Photos for a year and i bet they pay for year two you know
0: yeah there's a lot of ways to do this but honestly even just give them the space like if i pay apple's ridiculous prices for the expanded memory so i can put all my photos on my phone maybe i get more storage you know and i really feel like that while in the short term you are going to make less money off your services revenue the first time somebody loses an iPhone or has something go wrong and Apple says, Oh no, no problem. We got all your photos for you. Just buy another iPhone and they will download. That is a guaranteed sale, right? Now compare that to the current situation where you may have a phone full of photos and you drop it in the lake and Apple says, well, sorry, you didn't give us extra money. So we don't have any of your photos. Are you going to buy another iPhone? Hmm. You can go buy a Google phone where Google says they'll store them for you. Yeah. Because that's what they do. And so uh, it just seems to me like, like looking at the big picture, you know, on a dollars and cents, it makes sense. But also it just kind of feels like the right thing to me. Like, yeah, take care of the people that buy your phones, make them lifetime customers. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A a little surprise and delight. Uh, And that's a term Apple uses, at least in retail, goes a long way uh, to keeping people happy.
0: But uh, there's a tension there, and there will, as Apple continues to make money off services, that tension will get stronger, not lesser. And uh, so that's something we got to keep an eye on. What's next for services? What do you want them to do? I mean, now that they're they're doing good with what they have, what would you like to see them add?
1: I, w- I would like a, a good focus on iCloud Drive. You know, they're so close in some areas to something like Dropbox or, or Box or other services like it but then it sort of falls down in the last mile Uh, for me that's just better control over what's local and what's not we we spoke about that in the cloud storage episode a while back but all that still stands and i think in particular they need to continue to smooth out the experience with anyone who has multiple apple ids or using the apple id family feature which my family does yours does too and it's it's pretty good once it's up and running. Although, uh and this is where I insert follow up for like the third time on this topic because we keep, we keep coming back to this topic. Yeah. Uh the the amount of storage you get, you can go to 4 terabytes total if you're on Apple 1 because Apple 1 gives you 2 terabytes and you can buy two more. And we haven't seen that option on in our accounts. I know I haven't. Yeah. And a bunch yeah. of people are like, "No, it's here and sending us screenshots of it." And it seems like after looking at all these screenshots and talking to a bunch of people, what it seems to be is if you have separate Apple IDs for purchasing and for your iCloud. So, like, for us, we use my, like, ancient Apple ID. Yeah,
0: so the, the longest fans are the ones that pay.
1: You yeah. Know. And 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 so I have a separate Apple ID for purchase and then a newer one for, like, my actually iCloud syncing. And because of that, I'm unable to add the extra two terabytes. It's just not an option for me. And I don't need the space yet, but you do, if I remember correctly. You're getting close I'm to getting it. I'm
0: getting close. Yeah, I'm getting close. Well, I, yeah, it's a And so, mess. yeah, just
1: some of that ID management stuff is, like, rooted in the iTunes days, it feels like. And I think it would be good for them to continue to improve on that.
0: Well, I, I suspect it's a legal problem where... When I bought that movie on my original iPod account, you know, that they are, they are probably legally not allowed to move it to a different account. But man, like, like a one-time amnesty just to say, okay, all you people with these legacy iPod, like iTunes accounts, we're going to let you one time move everything. That would like solve a hundred percent of my problems with mm-hmm. this. And like, I keep like beating myself up. It's like, I should, what I should do is literally just give up on this legacy account and just buy everything under my main Mac account at this point And just like write off because all the music that I bought under that, I don't really miss at this point because I'm on an Apple, you know, music subscription. So that's probably okay. But I bought a bunch of movies. It's like, am I going to pay for Star Wars again if I want to watch it?
1: I mean, yes, you will.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, that's dumb,
1: right? right. And, it is dumb. If, no, no, if, they, if, they, need to, they need to address it somehow. And I agree yeah, with if, you. Like, the migration is probably tricky, but, like, just make all the options work if I have two apple Like, it, it's so yeah. rooted in ancient technology at Apple, and I, yeah. I know for a fact they've replaced a lot of it. Right, like, the joke used to be everything runs on iTunes. That's not the case anymore. A lot of yeah. it has been rewritten and updated, but some of it feels so fragile and when you're talking about apple id management where well, your apple id is so much more than just those purchases right it's, it's everything on your phone i understand them needing to be careful about that but at the same time you are punishing people who are using things in a way that maybe you didn't anticipate
0: and like in 10 years is this you know weird system of using your legacy apple id here that you got most likely with an ipod and you know the one that actually has your email address attached to it. Are you going to have to? Are you still going to be able to use them both. Are they going to have to account for that, or at some point are they just going to give up on it? Yeah. And it's like, am I? So every time I buy a movie now, am I just making it worse? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I I what I the way I've solved the iCloud storage problem because like you, I do not get the extra two terabytes because of the way I purchased Apple One. And I, I guess I should look into seeing if I can purchase it. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But it's just a mess. And so I've started moving data out of iCloud uh, Drive that I would like to have there because I just don't have room for it anymore, which you know is kind of beyond the point. Anyway, I think we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but that's something they could improve. <laughs> um, some other things I'd like to see them add is... I want for the Mac, what we have for the iPhone and iPad in terms of backup, I want to be able to get a new one, plug it into iCloud and just have it restore to exactly what it was on the other. device. Yes,
1: absolutely. You know, time machine is fantastic, but you have to buy a drive. And then if you're in a laptop, you got to remember to plug it in. And not everybody does that. And not everybody uses a service like backblaze. And it's like having it built in, having it as an iCloud option, you know, People like me and you may not necessarily use it, but I would bet good, good money that the percentage of iPhone customers that have their phones backed up is higher than the percentage of Macs that are backed up yeah. because it's oh, built in and easy.
0: On orders of magnitude, I'm certain, because it takes work to do it on a Mac. And if you just made it built into, you know, the Apple one service, you don't have to give it away You can charge for it. But I think it would be uh, something a lot of people would want. Yep. What about Apple policies? We've had some movement this year with the way Apple thinks about things and, and policies. Uh, Let's start with the right to repair changes we recently saw. What do you think?
1: I think it's great. I mean, the, the, the devil's in the details in terms of what parts, what components, what it does to your warranty. We don't know any of that yet but i'm encouraged that they are going down this road and and maybe not for the obvious reason that oh it would be great that i could just replace the screen on my phone if i if i mean honestly when i break it but they're going to be designing products for people to open themselves and that has ramifications on how products are put together and that that's all good because even if you don't want to repair it yourself it means that repairs by third parties could be easier and cheaper. It's good all the way around. And I hope that Apple really is serious about it. And it's not just lip service with a couple of common parts and it's really too expensive for anybody to consider it. I I hope they're taking it seriously.
0: I kind of feel like the reactions to this is almost like a lens of how you think about Apple. Cause like when this news broke that, and I, we didn't, tell you the background if folks don't know apple is going to start selling you parts that you can replace parts in your mac and your iphone and your ipad they're even going to sell you tools so if you want to do your own repairs and like there's a group of people are like oh this is great apple is gonna like open it up and let everybody do whatever they want to their devices Mm -mm. i don't think that (laughs) i think that's one way to look at it but it's not really objectively true and then the uh, the flip side is ah this is Apple just trying to play a game to get around regulations and they I think it's actually what it they said it is it's like yes if you want to buy the parts we will now sell them to you yeah and that's all it means I don't think it's really a huge I mean it is a help for a right to repair but I don't think it solves all the problems but it's progress and hopefully there's more you know the flip side of the the one and we worked on this outline obviously before today's show but I think we're both kind of um, Unhappy with the whole situation with the regulations uh, and the 30% of app revenue sharing and just like the whole situation with the app store and what's going on with that. You want to give a summary of that, I guess, for folks?
1: Yeah. I mean, Apple since the beginning has taken 30% of revenue that is spent in the app store. So if I buy your $10 app, (laughs) remember $10 apps, (laughs) Uh, a $10 app, $3 goes to Apple. And $7 goes to the developer. And the pitch from Apple was, for our 30%, we're going to run the store, we host your downloads. And you know, people may not realize this. If you have an app for sale in the App Store, you don't have to host it, right? It's it's being downloaded from Apple servers. They're going to take care of editorial. It came out recently that they buy ads on Google for certain well-positioned apps in the App Store. like They do marketing for you. And the... That has been fine for a long time. And we moved into in-app purchase, where apps are free and you spend uh, money after the fact, and it was still remained 30% cut. So now in the third era of App Store monetization, we have subscriptions. And if you're a subscriber for more than a year to an app, it drops to 15%. But over time, developers and world governments have looked at Apple and have raised concerns that these uh, that the rate is too high and that there the rules around the app store like you have to use their payment methodology that's kind of the core of a lot of these cases and complaints uh, is that Apple is acting in a antitrust fashion with the app store and I'm not smart enough to litigate that other people will but clearly there are concerns and I think well grounded concerns that the app store Uh, is not going to be sustainable the way that it is, that something will give. And the 30% seems like such an easy thing to back off of for Apple. And they've even done it a little bit with like the small business program. So if you make less than a million dollars a year, I believe, uh, they, they take a lesser percentage. But they seem unwilling to bend on these other things. And they are betting that the courts and, I guess, world governments will allow them to continue to operate this way. But it seems like they risk a whole lot in doing so, and it just seems like a really silly thing to to contend or 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 to bet your entire like, your entire business model against. Like, you know, what if you don't bend on this Apple and then someone in the world says, "Hey, well, uh the App Store has to be a separate business from the iPhone," right? And then you've broken your business model. I just don't understand why they stand their ground over it. So, so harshly.
0: Yeah. When in settlement negotiations with clients, when I'm wearing my lawyer hat, um, I have a standard explanation I give to them. And that is when you're in settlement, you get to control the outcome. You know, whatever the outcome is of a settlement, you had a say in it. So you have some degree of control over it. If you are unable to settle a man or a woman in a black robe decides the outcome and you have no control over what that is. And I feel like that's where Apple is right now. It's like they could be making moves right now that would probably significantly reduce the amount of regulation they put themselves into. Um, But if they don't try to, you know, figure it out now on their own, it will get decided for them. Yeah. And they probably will not like what happens when it's decided for them. And, um, and honestly, if you look at, and I don't want to get into, this could be a whole show really. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think people really want to hear that from us. But uh, if you look at their explanations of why they're doing a lot of this stuff, it doesn't really hold water, honestly. And, um, I think that, um there is a true belief at apple that you know if not for all the hard work they did in making the iphone ecosystem and the app store that a lot of people would not be making any of the money that they are and that's true but at the same time 30% is a lot you know i mean i used to sell books through apple and they took 30% of every book sale i ever made and you know that that hurts when you look at it at the end of the year you know mm-hmm. it does and um and so I don't know. I I feel like it seems from the outside that they're relying on the inability of of governments to make any progress, which is a whole nother topic, right? But they're kind of banking on that to be able to just stick with their guns. And um I wish they would I you know, I wish they would take a different approach. I wish they would be um I wish they would be more fair. I mean, from my vantage point, what they're doing isn't really that fair to a lot of app developers. And, and I get that, you know, the Apple made this economy for them to work in. But at the same time, the apps they make are the reason people buy their phones. So it's a two-way street. And I, I just wish they had... A, I feel like, you know, Apple, there's all kinds of problems companies have. And it's it, from the outside, you often see it. You know, BlackBerry just refuse to accept reality. You know, the famous story of when the iPhone came out, they didn't even believe it was real, you know? And and the company failed because I, you know, what is Apple's, like, what is their Achilles heel? I feel it's their hubris. You know, sometimes they're just so set in something that they don't, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like that can hurt them, which is a weird thing. Like for most companies, it's like lack of vision or lack of execution. But with Apple, it feels like hubris sometimes.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. And it's it's awkward and hard to talk about because we like so much of what they do. Yeah. But there's this undertone to it when it comes to the business side that just is uncomfortable and I just I just don't see how it ends well for them. At some point yeah. someone is gonna is gonna smack them around for it in a way that Apple doesn't like, and I think they're gonna regret the the line they've taken with it.
0: That's my that's my feeling too and I could be proven wrong but you know getting back to that settlement talk you know mm-hmm. in this case the guy in the black robe is some governmental entity and do you want them deciding how your app store works? I don't think you do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you do. <laughs> yeah. Um overall, I mean, killer year for Apple. Um the Apple Silicon on the Mac and I mean, so much of the stuff they're doing right now, I feel like they're like clicking on all cylinders, even some of the stuff we're unhappy with. I feel like is in a period of transition, like, you know, Swift UI and some of these, I think they're making the right moves. They've just not fully executed yet. And, uh, you know, I hope that they continue along that path. And, uh, the fact that it's now obvious that the Mac is a real priority, not just in their words, but in their actions really uh, brings me joy.
1: Me too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I give them a thumbs up and what was a hard year. I mean, in some ways, we're seeing the effects of the pandemic more this year than last year because things that come out last year were kind of done the year before, right? And there's probably yeah. more of that to come. And they, like everyone else, have struggled with when to return to work. We didn't even touch. There's some other like social yeah. issues going on inside the company that some of them they've handled better than others. But... I think from the the product perspective and the perspective we take on this show of using their thing, their products to get your work done, uh, there's there's not much to really complain
0: about. Yeah, I do think in 2022 the supply chain problems are going to catch up with Apple. I mean, they've I been so able too. to avoid it so far, but that's going to be a thing. You know, overall, I'm 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 just so happy with the Mac that that it gives me rose-colored glasses for everything that they're doing at Apple right now. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. All right, uh, state of the Mac, state of Apple, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, let us know. I'd like to do this at the end of every year. I think it'd be a great tradition for us going forward. Uh, but, you know, we want to hear from you as well. What do you think Apple's doing right and wrong at this point? We have a forum for that over at talk.macpowerusers.com. Uh, you can find us on RelayFM at relay.fm MPU. We want to thank our sponsors for today, and that's our friends over at 1Password, Squarespace, and the Tech Savvy Lawyer Podcast and memberful. We'll see you next time.